Have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They are the only sunflower seed company that has taken the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. Yo, what is up, everybody? You know what time it is. It's time for the Alpha Bench Podcast. I am Daniel Vaughn. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Jim Cross. Jim, tonight we got episode 28, titled 20 Specialist, because we're going to be talking to Wake Forest baseball star Michael Massey, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to get his story. He's got a long story, man. got a few different schools to talk about. we got to talk about Wake Forest pitching lab. I'm, I'm intrigued. we got to talk about the expectations, the new faces on campus, man. It's, it's going to be exciting. I'm ready to get after it because baseball season, believe it or not, is right around the corner because, you know, we're going to blink and it's going to be Halloween. We're going to blink again. It's going to be Thanksgiving. We're going to blink for a third time. It's going to be Christmas and then you know what that means. January 1st rolls around and it's nothing but baseball. But enough of that. Let's get to the man himself. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview of podcasting this week. Our man, Wake Forest baseball stud, Michael Massey. Our man, Mike, man, what's up? Just living, getting, getting through school, um, practice, fall ball. Kinda. Yeah, no, no doubt. Like the school life, I'm envious, man. You get to our age, you got kids and responsibilities and work, man. Enjoy college life. I know, I know a lot of, a lot of guys say, you know, oh, it's so much with sports and academics. Hey man, I'm telling you, enjoy it while you're young, you get old. Like Daniel says, you blink. Next thing you know, party's over. So, um, but before we get into all things college, you know, your story growing up, man, right now I got the TV on right now with the Astros and the Rangers, you know, MLB playoffs are going on. Have you gotten a chance to watch? And if you have, is there a team that you like to win it all? Um, being from by now North Atlanta, of course, I wanted one of the Braves to uh, watch that series against the Phillies, which was tough, but I think, um, now I kind of want the Phillies to win it all. I mean, it's they're a fun team. It's hard not to want them to win. Their fans are crazy. Um, it's hard watching the Phillies to want them to lose. So I, I think I at this point I have to go with the Phillies. It's hard to want the Phillies to win, but I feel <laughs> you. Like it, it is like just. I, I think it's a lot of just jealousy and envy that people have about the fan base of just Philadelphia. Because they're so strong. They love their team so much. Like, it's a cool – it's cool to know that your city, you know, has that. And being in Tampa, we don't have that, apparently, for baseball. So, it's it's kind of frustrating. But I can see your point, man. They're fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Philly fans are crazy for every sport. I mean, we've had to transition, right? So, we're Cardinal fans. And then Daniel now lives in Tampa. So, when the Cardinals weren't good – he could roll with Tampa. And then like you, Atlanta, you know, Austin Riley's a two-time guest of the show. So we go with that. And so Cardinals are out, the Rays are out, the Braves are out. We're grasping for straws, like who, who to go with. So, you know, why not Philly? Right. Cause we, we got nothing left at this point. So just, 
good baseball is all we can ask for or at this point. Right now, the way they're putting it on the Diamondbacks, uh, yeah, we're not getting good baseball. We're just getting domination. So maybe uh, maybe whoever they match up with when they get to the World Series, which it seems it's going to be, uh, whether it's Houston or Texas, we we get more of a intrigue instead of a beatdown. But they're they're hot at the right time. And, you know, college baseball is no different. When you get hot at the right time, um, it'll carry over. You look at just the 2022 um, college baseball season, right, Ole Miss – I watched them get pummeled so many times and then they go into Omaha and just can't be beat. So it's wild how that works. But let me ask you a question. If you had your own show like this and it doesn't even have to be a sports guest, if you could have any guest, celebrity, athlete, whatever for your show, who would you have, Michael? Tough question. Um, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, I think Tim Tebow would be a great, great guy to hear from. Uh, I like following him. Yeah, he's uh, made a bit of, big impact on my life. You know, because he's such a great guy, we'll let it go that he's a Florida Gator because we don't like Florida on this show. But Tim, oh, yeah, I grew up a Georgia fan, so. Uh, but, you know, the right answer would have been, you know, Brock Wilkin, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Brock will forgive you. Nah, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh, you know, so growing up, this is always a fun question, you know, who was your biggest celebrity crush growing up? Like who was it? Whatever point it was, was like, yeah, like she's my everything. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely Miley Cyrus before she went crazy. <laughs> but I mean, I remember watching Netflix. Like I, I think I watched through the Hannah Montana show like five times when I was younger. So I, I like, I liked Miley Cyrus. Yeah. That's a, uh... That's a new one, Daniel, to add to the list. Uh, I think Hermione Granger um, for Harry Potter last week was the funniest one that I got caught <laughs> off guard with, but I, I like the Miley Cyrus. All right, the last one to break the ice, and then we'll get into your story. And this is the most important one, because after all, you are an athlete. Who is your favorite athlete all time? Favorite athlete all time. Doesn't have to be baseball specific. You know, whoever, whoever it was, man. I mean, it's hard not to say – it's hard not to say Kobe with what uh, a lot of his mental game stuff is pretty, pretty amazing. And you hear him talk, he kind of zones into a place that not many people can get to. And I think that's pretty cool. Daniel, what does that say about Kobe that probably he's the most common answer on this show from our guests? I mean, it's, it's exactly, I think the legacy that he wanted people to remember him by is that, He's a different breed. Not everybody is like him and not everybody likes how like he thinks when it, in terms of competition. But when you look back on it in, in history, as far as athletics go, there's only a handful of guys that have that mentality and they're all dominant in their sport and they're all champions and they're all really, really good. So, Michael, if I could suggest one thing, just be like Kobe. You have no problem. <laughs> We can all try. Yeah, for real. So, Mike, let's let's go back. Talk to us a little bit about growing up. Where are you from? I'm from Swanee, Georgia, which is about an hour north of Atlanta. Swanee. Uh, Take me to Swanee. What's what's Swanee known for? What is the one thing if I find myself there, I just I got to do or experience or check out or eat? What is it? I mean, <clears throat> I love there's a place called Taco Mac. I don't know if it has made its way down to where y'all are from, but they're they're in Georgia. I love Taco Mac every time I go home. I get that. It's like a wing spot. Uh 
and great wings. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah. Taco Mac. It's not tacos. It's not mac and cheese. It's wings. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the origin. I think it was like it was originally tacos, and it was gonna fail. So they, I guess, started making wings or something. It's like a sports bar. Um, yeah, I remember. You know, we getting, can't say nothing where we're from in Memphis. The top rated burger comes from Top's Barbecue. I mean, but I mean, least, I see what I'm saying. Can, but at least you can see the the correlation of barbecue outside grill burger grill. <laughs> I, get, I get it, but man, all right, man. If if I'm ever there, I'm definitely gonna hit it up and I'm gonna try all the wings. What's is there a flavor? Is there like like what, what what's your go to if you get getting food from there? So we get we get we start off with an appetizer. We, me and my friends, when we go, we, we split a, a large queso, jalapenos on the side, with extra tortillas. And then my my order, I get uh, 20 hot wings swimming. Swimming. So what is that? Sauce. Oh, that's, you know what? That's, I love mine with a lot of sauce. Maybe that's the problem is I'm not ordering them right because they never come with enough sauce. So maybe I just need to be like, hey, I need them swimming. That's what you got to do. Man, I, I got you. All right, so obviously growing up in Swanee, um, who are you living with? You got mom, dad, brothers, sisters? Uh, mom, dad, and then two older sisters. Ooh, so. older sisters. What's the age difference there? The older one, she's now 23, the other or 26. The other one's 23 now. So one's like five, five and a half years older than me. The other one's like three years older than me. So how many how many times you get beat up as a kid? Way too much. I got bullied. That's what I feel like, man. You you got just picked on not not by one but by two. Yeah, That's no, not even they, fair. The sisters gang up on you. They don't. You don't. You, they don't. People don't realize how much how mean sisters can be. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, we do. We both got older sisters. We actually. Oh yeah. Percent understand. And I have I have two girls, so I'm wondering what this dynamic's gonna be as they get older. So But you know, um, Daniel, one thing I bet Michael can agree to, you know, they may pick on you, but if somebody else tries to pick on you, your older sister ain't having it. No, no, no. I'm I'm sure that they they, they, they take they, up for you. Yeah, they they definitely do. Uh it was kind of nice having them. I, I like all through high school or whenever, like growing up, they were always I, I had friends with like people, the all like softball girls from two years older than me. So I was kind of, I, I had free built in friends because of them, which was nice. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's, there's no shame in that. You get some residuals from, from just being a part, a part of the family, you know? Come on. <laughs> so um, obviously you talked about uh, your sisters playing softball, but obviously you were an athlete too. At what age do you start playing baseball? Or three or four, probably. And then, was that the only sport, or were there multiple sports that you played? I played baseball, a little bit of basketball. I played basketball all growing up. Tried football one year, it was just horrible. And then, um, quit basketball and like sometime in middle school, and focused on baseball ever since. Seems like it worked out for you. Not that I'd say, say it has <laughs> so far. So far, no, man. You've had a you've had a great career as you know up to today, and we expect it to continue to get better and better for you. But 
Um, obviously, it was baseball. Um, now, we get into the discussion of travel ball and high school ball. I want to hold off on the travel part and just talk high school. What high school did you go to? So I actually went to two high schools. Uh, I went to – so I, I'll start from the beginning. I went to North Gwinnett Elementary Schools through, like, fifth grade, transferred to Buford High School, kind of a, a big name. Was there from like fifth grade to tenth grade, and then when we, my family moved back to the same neighborhood I grew up in. I had the choice whether I want to go to Buford or North Gwinnett, and I went to North Gwinnett. So, graduated from North Gwinnett, but definitely um, had some Buford in me uh, culturally and made an impact on me. Yeah, I mean, you you earned two varsity letter, letters at North Gwinnett. You were named first team all county, first team all region. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about high school baseball. Was it competitive? Was it, you know, just something that you did because you were at school? Because I, I know that at some point travel ball becomes like the big push to the next level. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely very competitive where I'm from. Like uh we're in the highest like like size of uh schools. We're in seven A. Um I I guess to, for perspective, my first varsity outing first time I ever touched a varsity mound field whatever was against Parkview who was at the time the defending national champions so or claim national champions I'm not sure how they got that title but uh back-to-back state champions so we we played them that was my first outing and I remember being thrown in the fire I kind of wasn't sure if I was good enough and then I ended up uh going complete game with no earned runs so worked out but it was a very very competitive conference. I mean, you just – you're right. You just got thrown into the fire, and you told them, here's – I'm going to shove against your self-proclaimed national championship. So, you know, obviously you you have the skills. Was that kind of the turning point in your head where you're like, oh, man, I, I got something. You know, I have this talent. I, I can do it. I can, like – was that the motivation you needed or did you feel prior to that, that you were ready for the moment? Um, I definitely had a lot of motivation. Uh, not sure. I don't think the confidence definitely wasn't there. Um, I wasn't sure that I was good. I just knew that like, I, I spent a lot of time that off season, like getting a lot better. Like I was, I was on JV as a sophomore. Um, wasn't like too great. I, I had got some college attention going into my junior year. So that kind of helps a little bit, but I know I had a lot, further to go if I wanted to be where I wanted to be and um so that that really I think that turned me around from a confidence standpoint um we also go into how competitive it was we were that year we were North Carolina we were preseason four in the nation um so we had high expectations I wasn't I was transferred in I wasn't sure how I fit on the squad wasn't sure um, exactly uh, where I align with the team. And then, now we know which, why he picked that school when he made his options. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Um, but yeah, it um, was definitely big for my confidence. Uh, one, just coach Morty, him and I still have a great relationship, but him giving me the opportunity to throw that game versus the two guys, um, one went to Stanford out of high school, one went to Wofford, now is at Alabama. So they're both two really great pitchers and gave me the nod against them over them. So that that helped my confidence and then throwing great, obviously. I kind of felt like I was on cloud nine for a while. So let's talk about travel baseball. You were 
by perfect game, you were rated the 18th best right-handed pitcher out of Georgia for the 2021 class. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, for those that that know travel ball, perfect game is 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 the one. Like they're the the organization uh, that you go to, that you're a part of, that you know gets you looks from you know not just college level, but from professional level standpoint too. So tell me about your travel ball career. Who did you play for? Team Elite. So I played with Team Elite from 13U on. My dad coached me up until like 12, up through 12U. And then sent me over to Team Elite and I was there for the rest of my time. How many teams does Team Elite have? Way too many. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm going to start asking this, Jim, just because I'm curious. Every time we have athletes on, I want to see like, the growth of travel baseball because I feel like when I played there was really like one like every organization had one team per age but now I feel like every organization has multiple teams per age and they're color-coded and they may be like you know elite you know not as elite and then like just a regular you know average player but um you know, obviously, you're playing big time travel baseball. Um, Let me ask you something, you... Daniel. Before before you continue on, though, like, or really want to ask it. Me and you talked about, but ask it towards Michael. You know, in regards to travel ball, with all the good that comes, there is a negative side, and it's for kids like my son. Right, back to back years, he was on teams that they decided to move his rec team to travel ball, and while my son was decent, like he just didn't have that competitive edge, man. Like, you know, travel ball wasn't going to be for him playing all the time. And I bring this up because the rec league basically almost folded because so many kids were playing travel ball. And like, so like, obviously it's good because these kids are are learning and they're traveling, doing these things, but it felt like there's no option for recreational. Have you seen kind of the same thing? Yeah. I remember like growing up, I I played rec ball until like through eight years. So not, not too long, but like, even after that, we were doing like our, our, we did our travel team like out of our rec park, but everything was like we had teams. So, like, I remember like being the Blue Jays, being the athletics, being this and that. And now, even like back in my like the home park I played out of, it's like you have North Gwinnett and you have like a black team, a gold or a black team, a red team, a white team, and a gray team. Like, that's it. So, I don't know if, what if that's less people are playing, like baseball is dying, or if it's just more people playing travel ball. I'm not really sure exactly what that is. But I definitely I, I, don't think baseball is dying. I, I think it's more travel teams because I think it's uh, probably, it's probably hotter than ever, wouldn't you say, Daniel? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with money. Like you can, people will pay it, and like you know, when I coach travel baseball, one of the things that like our organization prided ourselves on was getting kids to the next level. So like people would pay top dollar to know that you're going to get their kid playing at the next level so I I think a lot of it is that but also a lot of it is um I think baseball like people like baseball people want to want to play it there's nine different positions that you can play so a lot of people can play at once it's kind of like football like you have a lot of positions where you can get a lot of people playing time at once but I think parents prefer their kids playing baseball instead of getting uh hit like in football there's a there's a reason why moms love baseball (laughs) yeah i'm i'm glad michael that i'm i have two girls so that i don't have to fight that battle of like 
you know, if I had a boy, like I would want them to play football, but I don't know how much my wife would want them to play football. <laughs> so um, it's just easier not to have that. Um, so you get into travel ball, you start, you know, playing top level competition. I'm sure, you know, in Georgia, you don't have to travel far and go down to Cobb County and, and play the best of the best um, every summer. But at what point do colleges start you know, approaching you and saying, Hey, like we, we want you to, to think about us or, Hey, like here's some papers, let's sign, let's go. So for me, it was, uh, summer going into my junior year. I know a lot of people, it starts a lot earlier, but no, I was, I started summer going into my junior year, um, started throwing like 86, 87, and then school started like coming to my games, reaching out, I was throwing and get a little bit of tension and, it kind of started rolling from there. So you correct me if I'm wrong. You had a little setback. You had some surgery prior to your senior season, right? Yeah, correct. So I actually, with all the perfect game stuff, I tore at PG national. Mm-hmm. No one knew. I, I, I remember like feeling like torn, whatever. My arm didn't feel great after that. This was like a Thursday. I had another outing on Tuesday and I threw good at PG national. So I started getting some like a little bit of attention. People started reaching out to me. I have another start with my travel team on Tuesday. I don't tell my – I'm about to back out of the start, and I see, like, scouts start rolling up. I'm like, well, I can't tell them now. Like, I'm a, I am ai got to throw. So I, th- I throw, throw, like, two innings, tell my coach, like, yo, I can go one more inning, but my elbow's killing me. Like, I, I got I to gotta be done after one more. He's like, he pulled me right then. So he he's awesome. That Jamie Crane with Team Lee, he's, he's an amazing guy. Um, but he pulled me then. A rehab for like two weeks, try to throw again and had like horrible outing with two strikes out of 10 pitches or no one strike. Yeah. Threw eight straight balls, a strike and then a ball and pulled myself. But um, yeah, that was definitely, <laughs> he, he just said, I, I, um, I got it coach. Don't worry. I, I'm going to take myself out. <laughs> yeah. I just looked at him, like gave him one of these and he knew. Uh, Cause I mean, I, I definitely wasn't ready to throw, but uh we were in like the semis and I wanted to give us a chance to win. So didn't work out. We lost the game, but um, it's okay. So let me ask you this. So that puts you kind of like in this predicament where you're trying to decide what school you're going to go to, but now you're injured. Was there any apprehension after that? um, Once school started finding out that you're, you're injured. Yeah. So I was, I was actually committed to Tulane at the time already. And um, but I just remember being super nervous. Me and my parents both were when I had to call them and let them know, like, hey, I'm getting surgery. Like, we're like, are they still going to like hold up my scholarship? Or are they still going to like because if they change the amount of money I'm on, I, I can't I can't go there. It's a cost 80 grand a year to go to Tulane. And if I lost money, wouldn't be able to go. I'd have to re- open it up and that give me a world of trouble. So um, now it was definitely scary uh, going from like feeling like safely secure, like, uh, had like a great, like summer was kind of giving myself a name, felt like I was going to give myself an opportunity to throw well as a freshman, like top of the class. But, um, that definitely sent me back. Uh, so it was kind of a little scary there. So did Tulane, I mean, obviously Tulane, what did they tell you when you had that conversation with them? Where they go, were they cool with it? Were they all right? Were they like, no, man, this, you gotta, 
They're, they're awesome. awesome. I remember calling uh, Jay Ullman. He's the head coach now, but he's he re, he's the one who recruited me there. Um, he called me and was just, or I called him and told him what happened. He was like, hey, man, it's like, this happens. Well, like, we're with you. Like, no, this doesn't change anything. So I remember telling my parents, like, being super happy about that and um, told them. And then they started like, hey, what do you like? What are you planning on doing? Uh, we have like, like, we can't like technically give you their number, but like, you can look up this guy and like, he will know if you want to call him like the team doctor. He um, actually, he said, so it's kind of cool. The Tulane team doctor and the doctor I went to created the surgery that I had. So I kind of, I, I was either going to, I was going to get the surgery either way. I got the repair rather than the full reconstruction, which was really nice. So they were really helpful about that. They were really cool about like me wanting to get ready, be back. Um, and throughout the whole rehab, kind of just staying updated with me. Um, and like not, not giving me any doubt in my head that it changed anything. You know, it's kind of a, a good, good story for young athletes to hear because so many young athletes could have easily just kept throwing and kept throwing and kept throwing, you know, but you were smart enough to realize, all right, I got to take a step back. And, and I'm sure maybe not in the moment, but after the fact, you probably had thoughts, oh man, like, what does this mean for Tulane? What does this mean for the next level? But, you know, my next question to you was, was really, well, why Tulane? But it seems like you kind of answered that, you know? Yeah, it was, it was definitely the the coaches and the culture there. I love like uh, Coach Jewett, Jay, uh, Daniel Latham. Uh, they're, they're all great guys. And um, I have nothing but love for that program still to this day. Um, those guys are great, but I'm, I actually committed to Tulane without ever going down there because it was all COVID stuff. So like I, it was just the coaching staff. I remember COVID hit and I was talking to Jay at that point, like every single day, like just building that relationship, building that relationship. And um, it was, it really made me feel like they like wanted me and like I belong there. Um, so it felt, it, that was really cool. They were coming off a great season there, 15 and three, the COVID season. Um, so they, yeah. they should feel wanted. Really. Let me, let me tell you something, Michael, man, when it comes to any school from Louisiana, it's it's culture and family, right? It doesn't matter if we've talked to, you know, LSU, Tulane, Louisiana, Lafayette, you know, it's it's the reason why I love it there so much. My family's from there. It, it's it seems to be it doesn't matter. Like I said, it doesn't matter at the school. It's always culture and family. And and when guys, you know, are brought in there, they say the same thing. And I think it speaks volumes to the state of Louisiana and the athletics. It's just kind of the way it's, you know, been ingrained there. So you know, you get down there, what's that like, you know, because you said you hadn't been there, um, you know, are you more excited or nervous? Uh, definitely excited. I, I did a lot of work, but going into uh, my, my freshman year, I also, like I saw, I, like you said, I was like first team all County. I got, I was able to, at surgery in July, I was able to pitch my senior year. I threw like 40, 41 innings through well. So I was hot, like confidence was super high. Uh, worked hard and like training back home and got stronger, worked on my pitches. So I kind of, I kind of went in like expecting to do well. Um, I had a goal in mind. I, I was really excited. I want, I was like, all right, I'm gonna start one way or another. I'm, I'm gonna end up starting. Um, and so I was, I was more like, I wasn't really nervous because I kind of knew there was a wide open gap for starters and I just wanted to prove them that I could be that guy. 
Well, you obviously proved to them when you got there as you ended up becoming the starter that you thought you'd be, um, you know, looking at the season, you know, ups and downs, uh, but, you know, a solid start against Mississippi State, amazing outing against Dayton, followed up by another one at Memphis. You see the flag uh, behind Daniel, you know, we're from Memphis, very in tune with the University of Memphis. So, you know, familiar since y'all, you pitched seven and two thirds there. And that was, that was the most, impressive part as a freshman you know you had back-to-back games where you went seven and two-thirds you know a lot of pitches thrown and and able to show what you really had so you know how did how did it feel you know that freshman season you talked about what you kind of felt like you could do did you meet expectations did you learn what you felt like you wanted to learn in that first year uh definitely I mean at, at the time at the end of the season um or like throughout the season, I probably would say no. Um, I mean, I was definitely very happy that I was a starter, but when you're in the moment, you kind of just get upset that you have this bad outing and you kind of get uh, so like engulfed in the day-to-day and the week-to-week stuff. But um, no, it's definitely I it's a huge learning curve for me, uh, learning how different college hitters were. And I mean, I've definitely, I've been looking back on that time uh, as this year, last year I was a reliever plan to go back in the starting role this year it's definitely kind of helped me this year with the confidence like hey my stuff freshman year was pretty awful but I survived and I threw well uh, obviously I plan to do more than survive this year but it's, it's given me the confidence to know like hey I can start a lot of people see me as a reliever I can start so it's, it's given me confidence to this day that I can I can do it yeah it's something that I uh you know I don't know how much you follow on what I put out on on Twitter but I've been telling people you know when it, in regards to Massey, they're like, you know, he's a reliever. Cause I've said, you know, I think they'll have the best weekend rotation, um, you know, with Burns, Hartle and you, and they're like, he's a reliever. And it's like, you clearly don't know that he came from Tulane. And like I just said, relievers don't throw seven and two thirds back to back games, uh, you know, so like, you know, speaks volumes. And, you know, like I said, there's the ups and downs, but I think it was very valuable what you were able to take from Tulane. But the question becomes, you know, how does Wake Forest come into the picture? So I got to get to Wake Forest. I got to rewind a little bit. So I it was actually against Memphis. So this was Friday going into the conference tournament. We play on like Monday or something. I, I was going to start on Wednesday. So Friday, all the starters were getting touches, like one, two innings, just so we could keep our arms going, going to the conference tournament, but not a full start. Stone against Memphis. They had me throwing the eighth and ninth. Eighth started a little rocky. And well, I sprained my ankle, like I had to get pulled out of the game. I was pissed. Uh, could hardly walk for like a couple of days and I had, a, I had a start upcoming in like five days. So I was like, all right, I got a sprained ankle. I can't walk. I'm in a boot right now. Got to figure out how to throw. So whatever, get out of the boot, have an ankle brace, figuring out how to throw again for the days leading up to my start, my outing. And um, so ankle brace, whatever. The day I wake up, walk on the bus and Jay's like, Hey, you're, we're going to use blah, blah, blah. We're going to use Hoff before you're going to, he's going to open and then you're going to go. I was like, all right. So I'm a little, a little mad there. Get fumes going a little bit. Uh, and so I think that kind of might've helped, but I go on that outing after figuring out how to throw and all, all freshman year, I was like 90, 92 would touch 93, maybe 94 if I was feeling good. And then that outing, I came out, I was like 94, 96, like no reason. We're so, I'm so confused. I'm throwing. I was. I feel in the pit. I'm like I'm throwing pretty hard. Go out there. What are you talking about? No reason. You were pissed. No, no, that's not <laughs> why. Am, I'll, get that, I'll get to that later when we start talking about the lab. I'll get to. I'll get to why I was hard. But uh, 
so I, I'm throwing and Bennett, Bennett Lee, he actually came with me to Tulane uh, or from Tulane to Wake Forest. We came together and um, he's his, his, every time I, he did it a couple hours before I'd throw a pitch and his face would just light up. He'd look at the gun and just light up. So I was like, all right, I throw a pitch, whatever one time and go to backup first base. Cause that's the way to do his pitchers. And Bennett goes, you just hit 95. No way. So I start freaking out, whatever. Here I hit 96 and I'm really happy. And then at the time I had no coach, so I'm figuring out how, like, what I'm going to do with the upcoming season. I'm like, I mean, I, I just hit 96, had a good freshman year. I don't know if I can envision myself coming back to Tulane without the coaching staff there because that's the whole reason why I went. And so I go in the portal, and, I, I mean, I, I didn't – I expected to get some calls. Uh, I expected, like, a decent amount of, like, traction on my name because I started as a freshman, but nothing like what happened. I remember I went in the portal at, like, noon and didn't put my phone down until 4.30. Like, it was just, like, call after call after call after call. And, like, all these all these schools, like, hey, yeah, we want you starting. We're going to start you. You're going to be a starter, this, that, this, that. And then Moose, Moose from Wake, our pitching coach, calls me. He's like, hey, what's up? We like you, this, that. Gives me, like, a whole, like, pitch, what they're going to – what they think about me. And he's like, yeah, by the way, you're not starting. You're going to be a reliever. I was like, all right, yeah, screw you, no. Okay, whatever. And – so he tells me that and I'm like, all right, I'm not in. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, <clears throat> I'm not gonna go to wake. This is stupid. I, I want to start. It's, it costs 80, 80 grand to go here or go there. I mean, it's not, that's not gonna work out if they see me as a reliever. And so like time goes by. Um I was I was between Georgia Auburn and Wake, and I tell tell my dad, like, I'm either going to Georgia or Auburn. I was like, go, consider Wake, because my grandpa went here, so that's a special. Uh, he wanted me to at least see it. I think he he wanted to go on the visit more than anything. He wanted to see the facilities and everything. I was like, no, Dad, I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to Georgia. I'm a uh, yeah. So another story. <laughs> In the portal, I it's like Monday or Tuesday. I think I go on a visit to Auburn. Loved it. Great great coaching staff. Uh, good family there. Uh, then go to Georgia the next day and get like get a good offer uh i think i want to go there my girlfriend's there at the time both my parents went there grew up a georgia fan so wednesday night i meet with the people i train with and we're going over pros and calls of every school and just like my dad i was like i was really like george auburn heavy kind of pushing weight to the back burner one because i want to start i mean how am i how am i gonna like get better it, it would be start? a heck it would be a heck of a decision if this was being made this year coming from tulane because you got Wes Johnson and you see what he just did with the pitchers at LSU. And then you got Wake Forest and you know what's going on there. You, if, if this was a year later, you'd really be in the dilemma picking between these schools. Oh yeah. It would have been, I mean, that would have been a really hard one. I'm glad it, I'm glad it wasn't <laughs> that way at the time because I like my decision, but uh, yeah, no, so I had all that, that going in. And then, so Wednesday night after my visit to Wake, I call Moose up and I'm like, yo, uh, I'm going to cancel my visit. I'm going to go to Georgia. I literally canceled my visit. This is Wednesday night. I was supposed to go up the following Monday. Cancel my visit. He's like, all right, well, good luck. Bye. So he, he didn't beg me to stay. He was like, didn't really care. He said, his philosophy is if, if you don't want to come here, I don't really care. Then go have fun somewhere else. He's um, told multiple guys, like, hey, if you don't want to be here, go to, go to the social school. I mean, I just want – I don't really – if you want to be here, you want to be here. If not, you don't. Um, but next morning, Walt – Walt sends me like a long text and convinced me like, Hey, you got, you got to at least see the lab. You got to hear what we, you got to hear us out. Cause, um, so my trainer back home actually, 
Uh, Brian Holmes played in the Astros organization for a while, full count Georgia. He he played at Wake and coached at Wake uh, when he was getting his degree. So he was pushing me towards Wake too. And I think he got Walt to push a little harder on me. But Walt calls me, gets me to put my visit back on. Two days later on Saturday, Moose calls me again. And I, I about canceled my visit, but I decided to come. Monday comes around, Moose call, brings me on my visit. Gives me a full development plan. We're going to do this, this, this with you. It's going to make this, this, this better. And then shows me the lab and everything. And I'm like, I'm fully bought. I'm a nerd. So I like all the, like, I'm nerd about mechanics, nerd about ball flight, um, pitch data. So, I mean, he had me there. And then it was all about um, whether or not I'd be able to, we'd be able to afford it. And it worked out. So I'm here. And I remember leaving the visit. My dad was like, so what do you think? I was like, well, I'm going here. There's no, no other option. So that's oh, man. I, I, have so, I have so many questions. <laughs> many. All right. First, going back to the day that you entered the transfer portal and you said, you know, I didn't put my phone down until 430. Are you answering the phone like you normally do? Or are you answering it like in a professional tone? Like that's not anything like you because you know, like the next call is going to be a coach. Like, oh, or is definitely, it... definitely my adult voice. I was like, <laughs> hey, what's up? Or it'd be like, it'd be very like, I knew, I knew what was going on. I get that you get this call from like, like, a, you know, it's a college town. You see the names like, all right, well, this is this coach. So, so it's, you, you know what you're getting into uh, a lot of, and by, by like two hours in, I was kind of exhausted and then you get another call uh, or you get like a text like, Hey, call me whenever you can. So you call them. And then right when you're done with that call, you get another call. So it was, uh, I mean, that process was absurd. Yeah. I was, mean, was there any schools where you were just like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Like right off the rip where you're like, or did you literally hear out what everyone had to say for that first four and a half hours I heard everyone after once it like toned down a little bit I was started getting texts I was like hey um like one school in the conference like reached out to me I was like yeah sorry like thanks for reaching out but I'm not sure I want to go that far north like I, I started just like anyone up north I was like you know what I'm not going to waste their time I don't want to go too far up north so those were that was an easy way to eliminate I didn't also know what the office would look like so I also didn't want to like oh yeah I'm going to be going to SEC ACC and started like knocking down on the uh, schools that I like. I didn't want to like. Wasn't labor. Right. I'm too good for you because obviously that that just be really disrespectful. Yeah, so, no. You talk about that that pitching lab. You know, me and Daniel have been so curious. And when Nick Kurt said when I come there for the Duke series next year, um, and especially because Burns is my boy, he's like. Yeah, man, let you come check out the lab. And I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm getting this top secret access. Like the way the labs talked about, like, you know, it's like, I feel like they're genetically, you know, creating something in you guys. Like, right, like you're getting bionic arms. No, it's, it's, it's special. It definitely, it definitely gets a lot of hype. Um, when that's one of the top three questions I get asked when people see me after, since I've been at Wake. Well, Daniel, when you produce pictures like that, so, be honest with you, Michael, last year, Daniel, think about, you don't even spend much time on Twitter, but you saw it. We took so much hell because we had y'all preseason ranked number three last year. And people are literally like, wake for us. Like, and then when y'all did what y'all did, it's like, 
what's up now? Like we <laughs> I, did our homework. I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna say anything, Mike, but I had you guys number one. The, the, the whole the whole season. No. Um you know, the lab. Well, actually, going back to Coach Moose now, to me it seems like there was like a little bit of like frustration on your part because he kept like being like, all right, whatever, dude, whatever you want to do. Did that create like a little bit of like intrigue? Like everybody's wanting me, but this guy's like, man, whatever, you know? Yeah, it was just weird because I was just like, like, does he even want me? I was like, like, is it worth my time? Like, are they just going to like have me up there and like give me an unrealistic offer that I can't afford? Like, like, is, is this like, it was like a weird like cat and mouse because he was asking me like how much, like what would I need? And like, I was like, one, that's really bad negotiation if I say I need this much money, but I need uh, everything. I, I need it all. Yeah, but it is just like um, I wasn't sure if he wanted me or not because one, he's he was just uh, tell me I'm be a reliever. One, I'm like, all right, this is weird. Like, it seems like he's like halfway in on me. Like, it seems like he doesn't actually think I'm that good. Um, and then yeah, he's super. Moose and I have a great relationship now. It's kind of funny thinking back about like how foreign he was to me back then. He's a very very intense guy. And the way, like, he's talk, he talks about a lot about recruiting. He's like, he he's loves to get these guys and um, loves, like, recruiting them. But he's also like, if you don't want to be here, why would I beg you to be here? Like, why would I beg someone that doesn't want to be and wants to say I'm playing? Why would I want him on my team? So, he's, he's it's hard to understand that in the portal. And it definitely, yeah, it, get, it gets interest sparked. Like, there's something different here. Yeah. Like, this guy's not begging me, like, because he's got other options, but he's also telling me that he's very selective with who he talks to at the portal. So it's um, it was kind of weird. I wasn't sure how where he valued me. Right. It was almost like he's playing hard to get a little bit, but also <laughs> he's, you know, I mean, as a as a coach, like you want to you want to surround and build a culture of guys that buy in and want to be there and. You know, I guess in his weird way, like that's what he was doing. He was making sure that you were committed because inevitably you ended up going there, but you also went for the visit that you had canceled already. And it took a, a text message and other people to, it was almost like this divine intervention that like brought you there, but it was for like this, this, like it was where you were meant to be almost because all of these little things happened along the way. Yeah. But but tell me about the lab, all right? Because Jim and I off air had this conversation. We talk about the lab, we hear about the lab, but we never have heard what actually the lab is, what you guys do. Do they like? I just told put, you it's like the Hulk. They inject serum yeah, I, and they become. That, they... <laughs> so so uh, you know, I I mentioned to Jim. I was like, well, maybe it's just like this way that they like market themselves. It's really nothing special that they do it's the same things other schools are doing but they just name it the lab and we were like no that can't be because these guys are going out there just absolutely like dominating so i don't know how much you can talk about the lab or if it's like uh it's like vegas what happens in vegas stays in vegas what happens in the lab stays in the lab but what 
you said you were given a developmental plan and based off of what you could do at the lab. So like, what does that look like? So um, I guess I'll start with what they told me. So at the time I didn't uh, rotate on planes so and my glove rotated a different plane than my shoulders and my arm. So that was just a low hanging fruit. Moose saw from video like, Hey, we're going to be able to fix this. And then Moose is like, we'll be able to teach you a slider. Just trust fast freshman year. I basically just only threw fastballs. I throw a slider, like to get people off my heater. And I throw change up sometimes the lefties, but now he's like, all right, you have a good fastball. We know that we'll make it better by doing this. And then I'll teach you a slider because I can. And then I, I forget exactly what else he told me, but, um, and then, so that was kind of what he pitched to me, uh, pitched like the result changes from the 2021 year to the 2022 year with red, uh, Crawford Wade, one of my uh, teammates now, he might have given Teddy something they did with Teddy, uh, something they did with Hartle to make him have a good jump at the end of his freshman year. So it was all just like kind of uh, data that backed it up. Like, hey, this was the year before, this was now, and it worked. And then I guess now I can – I'll give you a professional answer about the lab, and then I'll give you my answer. So the lab is we have like – we have two sets of uh, cameras. We have a uh, – Kinetrax and the Qualysis. Kinetrax is like normal in the lab, just videos of like without the markers, like you see the dots and everyone. The Kinetrax, they can just video whenever. So like if I go out there in the lab, like um, I throw a bullpen, I have the lab, I have the track man on. Um, they can turn on the Kinetrax. They can track my body, how I'm moving, uh, see how much hip shoulder separation I'm getting. And then they also have force plates in the mound. So they see when your foot interacts and then, or touches and when it actually replies force. Uh, and the Qualysis kind of gives a more accurate uh, version of this. But the Kintrax is very accurate, but Qualysis, I guess, is more def defined. Does it, does it uh, give you, like, immediate, like, in-the-moment feedback? Like, if mechanically you're doing something wrong, is there, like, a beep or something shows where, like, you hear it or you see it, and it's like, okay, like, this is exactly where I'm doing something wrong or mechanically I'm off? Or do so, you have to go back and look at video to go, all right, this is where the breakdown is happening. Yeah. So that that's um, for the mocaps with the Qualysis. Like it, it doesn't do any of that. We have a biomechanist on staff. Her name's uh, Kristen Nicholson. And so she, she'll get all the data from that and she'll break it down and turn it from physics terms to baseball terms, her and Mike McFerrin, our lab coordinator and Moose, they'll all collaborate and be like, Hey, this is what he's not great at. Like maybe, we can like, he needs to work on this, this, this. And then Mike and Moose will start brainstorming what plyo drills, what drills we need to be doing, how we're going to approach this. Um, so for me personally, I came up and doing the lab and they, they saw that I was producing a lot of force, but I wasn't capturing it. So the way you can picture it is, or I guess I could explain it is my, Torso and I was like the the force that I was producing just wasn't on time with my body. So I uh, say I'm in this position right here, but my foot's still like six inches off the ground. And they realized that by looking at all right, this is when he applies force, but in I put my foot landed, but my torso was basically already rotating a lot. So they saw that through the the lab, and they're not really sure exactly what they want to do with it. And they decide after a while to shorten my stride. 
So when the biggest thing for me when I got the wake was the short mushroom. I, I captured all my energy, got me on time. It took me about two weeks to kind of just put a PVC pipe to tell me how far, uh, how short they wanted me to stride. And um, that uh, short mushroom got a big velo jump. The reason I say that one two lane outing, I was throwing 96 for no reason, sprained ankle. I was trying to figure out how to throw three. The how I did that was I shortened my stride. I never knew what was happening, why I did it, or what like how I started throwing hard. I shortened my stride on that one day because I'd figure out how to throw with a sprained ankle, and shortened my stride. I was throwing hard, and then we got the wake. They did it more scientifically and safer, but we shortened my stride and I started throwing hard. Did it when you shortened your stride and you started throwing harder? Did it like ring like a bell in your head? You're like oh shit that's why when i sprained my ankle that was happening or was it now that you look back on it you're like oh well okay that makes sense it took me probably about like eight to ten months because i'm a nerd about long mechanics but i i didn't exactly like put the pieces together until i started like giving the pitch like i all i've explained to different people like this is what we did and this is how it worked. This is why it didn't work. Here's two videos from before and after and what happened. And, um, and when I started, we did that and I saw the two lane video, I was like, wait, I, my stride was shorter. And that's why I remember that whole summer after it happened, I was like, what is like, how did I do this? We kept looking at video from the beginning of that year to the, that outing. And we're like me and my people back home, like, what is like, how did I throw hard this outing? Why? And that, that was it. We fired, I realized and put the pieces together. And then I actually just told Mike and Moose the story about my sprained ankle like a month ago. So they, um, they're like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Dude, Jim, this is it's crazy. Like there's so much more layers to this lab than what I even. Why do you think I'm imagine. so excited to see it? And think about this. Well, I was just, I was just telling the boys how, intrigued you were you hijacked my section because you're so intrigued by this I, <laughs> i'm blown away man like this is this is like mind-blowing stuff because you have like it you have everybody that's a part of this lab you have like biomechanists kinesiologists exercise scientists like the whole like physiology department is like a piece of the lab that's looking at mechanics, looking at movement, looking at the physics of the body and throwing and like analyzing it all. And like, when you think about how, like how many layers that has, that's unbelievable that baseball has turned into that. Yeah. And that's, that's great that it has, because now it allows for you to maximize all your levers and everything that you do and do it very efficiently. And I mean, I would have to say, like, knowing these mechanical things, do you think it prevents injury? Oh, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of things uh, we're able to do, especially so one with with the qualysis, with the uh, dotted up one, uh, you can see the elbow torque. So that's a easy way to see. Um, we're able to see if guys are healthy. And if there's a big red flag, it can um, help uh, when you just – shut people down or make different decisions but um it's also very hard because different people are in different stages in their development so um what you might do to me will be different than what you do to my roommate and um so they have to balance that too it's definitely um definitely helps with health we're taking steps this fall too we've 
uh, partnered with Next Tile so we can kind of track the elbow torque and we're trying to manage our load better. And um, that's definitely useful. Well, clearly, you know, talking all this lab stuff, you know, coming from Tulane, you made the right decision. We obviously talked about, you know, would you had to choose between Georgia and all that, but with what Wake did last year, with what you did last year, it clearly was the right choice. You know, last season named to the Winston-Salem All-Tournament team, made 27 appearances, posted a 3-1 and record with one save, 41 and two-thirds innings pitch, recorded a career high, 76 strikeouts, ended the season with a career low ERA of 2.59. Um, you know, so clearly, you know, looking at those stats just from coming from Tulane and, you know, you know, you were talking about SEC, AC, you know, you were playing in a harder conference and having much better results. So it speaks to your growth and development. It speaks to Wake Forest. It speaks to your coaches and everything. So, you know, did you expect to have that big of a jump and that much success? And especially with, you know, that whole mentality, you went from a starter to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I definitely wanted it. Um, I wanted that success. I, I like to, I mean, I put in a lot of work to get the results, but I also wasn't truly sure how good I was. Um, I remember like in the fall and preseason, I was kind of, I so my first outing in the fall, I get on campus and Moose is expecting, yeah, you're going to be four to six. You're going to be throwing really hard. And mind you, I didn't know why I was throwing hard that whole outing, so. I'll go out there like with I feel like I had like imposter syndrome for a while but I was like all right they're they got they're expecting they got this person they got this guy well I ended up I was throwing hard I was like three six that outing shocked whatever that whole story but that kind of gave me a little bit of confidence and then I go into the preseason and I'm throwing um throwing well and but a lot of big thing people don't see or like a lot of things that we do have to battle with the lab is we get so we get very development heavy physically. Uh, it's hard to uh, balance the mental side of the game. So um, I was in such a workshop with my mechanics. We were trying to refine me to be the best like physical pitcher I could be. That my first couple outings, they weren't bad. I was kind of out stuffing people, but it wasn't great. Like I wasn't competing and had to be after a while. I was like, all right, I told Mike and Moose, I was like, yo, no more videos. I'm done looking at any videos from now until the end of the season. I'm going back into compete mode like I was freshman year, and I'm just going to pitch. So I think that's when everything kind of flipped for me, and I still wasn't, like, truly confident in myself. I was, like, pitching. I was throwing well. I didn't realize how well I was throwing until, like, after Duke, and I, I like, I went 2.2 and, like, struck out a bunch of guys against Duke. I was like, wow, I, like, I'm I'm actually doing good. I look at, like, my strikeouts. I'm, like, already halfway to the amount of strikeouts I had freshman year, and I was like 12 innings in. So um, that, that gave me some confidence. Um, but it was definitely, it took me a while to realize like, Hey, I'm, I'm a dude. And it also was really hard for me going from the starter as a starter to a pin from the starting role to, to the pin is one I've never relieved. And um, I see myself like I'm a very um, low energy guy on the mound other than when I I screamed off the mound against LSU and that was the first time I've ever done shown any emotion ever on the mound so like I'm a very low-key guy on the mound it's really hard for me to go out there and be a reliever um which was a great challenge I had to overcome because I I'd go out there in my first inning I'd be like 92 94 like why am I throwing slow and then the next inning I got there I'd be four to six or like five to six so I was like we were, everyone was so confused for a while I was like what is going on like who is this guy and it took me a while to like finally realize like I got to go attack from first pitch. 
Cause I don't have, like, I'm not settling into the zone. Like I have I, some days I might have three outs to get and that's it. So you can't just settle in, uh, which I think that learning that lesson will help me going back into the starting rule. Cause every, like first inning is always the hardest uh, as a starting pitcher. You got to like establish the zone. You got to be aggressive. Um, so I think it took me a while to get into the relievers mentality, but I definitely think that the relievers mentality will help me as a starter too. Well, I think you felt comfortable by the time I saw you in person. Um, I went out to the couch and watched y'all in the Notre Dame series, and you pitched two and two-thirds, um, gave up no hits, two walks, but struck out six. And so, um, you know, clearly you looked comfortable with me. I mean, you K six um, with eight batters tells me a lot. And like you said, you you know, it, you didn't show a ton of emotion, right? Like you're just sitting there mowing them down and, you know, going – you know, right back to the mound and just doing your thing. And so I did notice that about you. But, you know, like I said, that was your eighth appearance into the season. So it seemed like at least by the time I saw you in person, you were pretty comfortable. I, I definitely um, had learned how to handle it. And I also um, – I think I, we were losing at the time. We ended up losing that game. Uh, crazy story. No one knows, I don't think. Hartle, was sit, Hartle spent that whole night throwing up. So he was really, really sick. I showed up to the field that day and Moose tells me, hey, yeah, you might start. Hartle was throwing up on it. I was like, sick, I want to start. But then Hartle shows up. I'm like, all right, this is awesome. Hartle's throwing. But they're like, he might go two innings. He might go one inning. Be ready. So I was in the bullpen from like the first inning getting ready to throw. And um, I think that preparation kind of had me going. I was ready. And no, it's, it's, it's kind of nice once I realized like, hey, I don't have to be a starter and I think that once I truly accepted that I'm not going to start and like I'm going to help this team, however I want, like how it, this is how I'm going to help the team. Once I truly bought into that is when it started uh, showing. Because for a long time, obviously I was like, I'm gonna find my way in the starting rotation. I'm gonna do it. And I'm obviously I didn't tell anyone else this, but I was thinking that. And it kind of I had to take a step back. I was like, Yo, bro, like if you want to help the team, you got to stop thinking that. Like you can't just be pissed off. Like I wasn't pissed off about the role, but I was like too determined to get better right you got to take a step back like this is your role well what's interesting about you know you saying that he was sick and you were possibly going to get the opportunity to start Daniel we know this and and Daniel was a college uh baseball coach you never that's sometime when the opportunity comes you could have went out there and threw a complete game shut out with 13 K's and then all of a sudden coach is like all right you know what we got to start Big Mike next week because I can't see a performance like that and just let him come out the bullpen. I mean, Daniel, is that, that's how it sometimes happens. I mean, the best guys yeah. can have an injury, get sick, whatever somebody fills in, and that's when the opportunity comes. Yeah, you don't you don't want to lose games because you failed to maximize the innings out of your best guys, you know? So let me ask you, for you – uh Regular season, what do you – you know, I looked and I saw a lot of amazing performances out of the bullpen. Which one was your favorite outing? Regular season favorite outing. Oh, gosh. I haven't thought about these in a long time. Well, I asked regular season for a reason because I knew if I let regionals and super regionals be in there, they would be the answer. So, <laughs> yeah. Um Uh. I don't even remember who I threw against at this point. Uh, I, I definitely the FSU one was fun. Uh, 
And I believe or, you got the uh, looking at that. I think you got the win in the Florida State one, right? Yeah, I did. So Hartle, Hartle threw great, uh, but I think I when he came, I think it was zero zero or one one when I came in, and um, came in, I got out of the inning. Um, I threw threw great. I think I had like five or six strikeouts, and but I gave up a homer. So I, I was in line for the win, lost that, and then they got it for me again. Uh, that outing was fun. Uh, going through their lineup, their lineup was uh, fun to pitch against. Um, so let so let me ask you. Let, let's fast forward to the regionals and super regionals. And and what I found intriguing about this, you know, I mentioned the Dayton game earlier. And what Daniel may not know, and the listeners may not know, you threw seven and two thirds scoreless, um, but Tulane lost the game. And I bring that up because in regionals and super regionals, you were able to come in the game. And I want to know what the feeling is like when your team is so good offensively that, like, next thing you know, you're you're pitching with 15 run leads. Like, like I mean, I don't, I don't know what that mentality is like. Like, normally you got to come in there and there's all the pressure as a reliever, right? But when you play for Rake Forest, like, you know, you find yourself up on Maryland and Alabama by these ridiculous leads. Like, what what is that? What is that mentality like? You know, do you get relaxed or is it still just one hundred percent all business? Uh, that's something like I'm I'm kind of get bad at. Like some of the Maryland outing I had, I actually I got lucky. I got a throw before it kind of got too out of hand. Um, Rhett came out. I think it wasn't like it wasn't close, but it was like would have been like. No, no, not say it was like nine to four and they had bases loaded with no outs. So it was like, or nine to something like the game was going to be decided by if I like let them take momentum. I came in with like runners on first and second, walk the first guy and then punch the side. So that, that was probably my second favorite outing of the year. Um, that one, I actually got to throw in like a high pressure situation. So that was fun. The fans that night were ridiculous. Um, game started at 1045 people were tailgating for probably like i don't know six hours at that point but uh so that game was fun but the alabama game my outing was i just i remember being pissed off after that outing like it wasn't a bad outing by any means but i was like that just was not fun like (laughs) i remember going out there because i was i was throwing the eight like by when we took a big league moves or walt was like all right cole you're gonna throw the sevens master and throw the eighth and uh cam you'll close in the ninth and so i'm about to go in the eighth i'm getting hot and then we put up like nine runs. So I'm just sitting there in the bullpen hot for like 30 minutes. I remember being pissed. I go out there, throw my throw my in and get off the mound. I'm pissed off a little bit. But yeah, I mean it's it's really hard to get in the zone when you're up that much. It's a very it's a it's a very uh great problem to have as a pitcher, but it's uh hard to get yourself there sometimes. Well, what I gotta commend your coaches for though is still throwing you in games like this and Daniel, I don't know if you remember, but the season before, one of the problems for Brady Tiger, who's a three-time guest of ours, he because Arkansas was winning the way they were um, in regionals and super regionals, he didn't get to pitch. And, you know, he's a freshman, and then he just gets thrown into the biggest moment against Ole Miss and Omaha and hadn't had any run. And so, like, I think it's very valuable, even if a game is lopsided, to get your relievers their normal innings, get them in postseason action, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to run into that scenario. So um, even in those games, I love that they still pitched you. Um, didn't say, hey, we're not going to waste his arm. You know, kept you in your routine because on a normal day you're going to be pitching. So yeah. I, I really like that. So when y'all 
end up punching your ticket to Omaha. Like, I mean, you you left Tulane to go somewhere else for a reason like this. I mean, what was that feeling like? Hey, man, we're going to the College World Series. I think the one word I could put to it is surreal. Like, it didn't even, like, didn't even feel real, honestly. Like, we go – I mean, the year before, I, I wasn't in the – didn't even get to go play in a regional. Um, and then I go to – we come to Wake. I was with Bennett, uh, my catcher, and – like him and I were taking a bunch of pictures with the Omaha signs. Like, bro, like this is awesome. Like, this is so cool. I remember, like, we literally just like hung out that night and literally just talked for a long time, just like talking. And I was like, this is awesome. Um, so that was a uh, that was really cool. It felt and it is a very like a uh, job's not done, but like we need to appreciate this moment because it's special. Yeah, no doubt. And so, man, I'm gonna talk about a moment like. You know, I asked you what it's like to come in during a bloodbath, you know, talk about Tulane to wake, you know, all these different things. But I'm going to tell you the most stressful moment that I could ever imagine, Mike, is coming in following Rhett Louder and Paul Skeens dueling in Omaha. Like when you get called to come in a game like that and you just watch the two best pitchers in college baseball, anybody can debate with me if they want to. Those were the two best pitchers in college baseball and they proved it. Is there extra stress like coming in? I mean, it's already it's already Omaha, right? You're playing for a championship, but now you're coming behind the two best guys. Is there extra added stress pressure there? Um no. Is no, but yes. Uh I think for me to properly answer that question, I gotta go back to my outing before that. If I don't know if you know, but I had another outing in Omaha. Yeah, yeah. I just went to that one because no, no, no. I, I, gotta, I just remember I remember it and I thought to myself. I do not want to be that guy. Like, yeah, I don't. yeah. So I gotta, I gotta tell that, and then it kind of helps seg me, segue me into this. Is I learned a huge lesson in Omaha. So my hand went out there. I think he got a save against Stanford. Maybe he went in, but he was spraying a little bit. He was super hyped up. Twenty five thousand fans, whatever it is. He's like, all right, don't let the crowd get too too much. Like, you will ha- feel them. And I was like, okay. So my first outing against LSU. I go out there, I'm coming in against Tommy White. And um, I'm like, I hype, I like talk myself down. I was like, all right, you got to be really chill. Like this crowd's going to be like crazy. And I, I kid you not, I go out there. I'm so calm. Like I've never felt more calm on a mound and I hated it. I literally, I was out there. I felt like I was throwing an inner squad. I was like, this feels horrible. So throw that out and it was fine. Like get uh, him out first pitch, get out of the inning come back out, getting out, started getting hit around, get pulled. None of the runs score, so it was fine. But, like, I remember the next day I was, like, a wreck kind of mentally. I was like, all right, that sucked. Like, this is, like, I hadn't really struggled too much throughout the year just because I'd been, like, throwing it down people's throats. And I get into this big stage, and, like, I don't give myself the opportunity to, like, show who I am. And it's like I couldn't get myself in that state. I was kind of passive. And I was like kind of wrestling that for the next couple of days. And I'm also thinking in the back of my head, like they need to throw me again because like I need to throw again. I'm not letting that be my only outing in Omaha. Right. And so they see me like I remember um the game starts going on, rest pitch down count starts getting up. So they send me and uh me, Cole Rowan, and Cam to the pen. I'm getting excited, like, all right, this might be me. Like, this is exciting. Like they're gonna find like I'm gonna get my opportunity again. And um send Cole out there first I start warming up and mind you there was a bunch of kids in the pen from like Illinois chirping me like saying LSU is gonna like kill me I was like 
all right, this is kind of weird. Y'all aren't even from Louisiana, <laughs> but um, no, it was, it was cool. I was like, uh, you get chirped by fans that aren't even LSU fans uh, out there that shows how, how wide their uh, popularity was last year. But I go in the game and I'm like, I tell myself, I'm going to be like super, like I'm going to let, I'm going to let the crowd like affect me. I'm going to just buy completely into the atmosphere. I've never done this before. I'm just going to like full sin. I'm going to go out there, throw hard, like throw as hard as I can every pitch and just go. And so I get out there. I strike out Cruz and then they intentionally walk, walk Tommy White and then Trey Morgan lines out center. And I remember coming off the mound thinking like, oh my gosh, like, do I scream? Like, do I, do I do it? And so I finally, like, I scream off the mound first time ever in my life. And um, that outing was super cool. I remember like later in the outing, I'm keep throwing good. And I'm sitting in the dugout. I was actually telling some of my teammates about this earlier because we're, we're talking about gratefulness right now. And I remember sitting in the dugout, just standing there like thinking like, this is the best game I've ever watched in my life. Like this is by far the best game I've ever watched. And then I was like, and I'm pitching in it right now. Like, that's really cool. So it was, it was, it was nice to be able to like take a step back and like actually appreciate the moment. But um, no, it's it, I would say there were definitely a little bit of nerves, but I, I remember being so confident and so excited to get back out there that it didn't really matter. Like I didn't, I wasn't really nervous about like following uh, Skeens and Rhett. It was more so just like, like I, I have the opportunity to like keep this game going and keep us uh, like, like get us the win. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about it is, you know, stat boxes will, will tell a lot. And then of course I was there and so someone would see and they would see that that you got the L hung on you, right? But if they watched or if they look at the stat box, they will see that you went two and two thirds and had five Ks. You only gave up one hit, one walk against, you know, that LSU lineup. Like you went out there and did your thing. You, you know, basically you had a base runner get on and obviously Tommy White gets a hold of Camden, but like you actually were really good. And so that L can be very deceiving on there. Right. And I mean, Tommy white is who he is. Right. And, and Camden said as much, you know, talking about it post game. And then I, you know, I obviously know him when we talked about it and, you know, best on best, sometimes you end up on the wrong side of it, but you know, I thought, I thought you were elite. I thought you showed big things and, you know, I've been adamant about this. Daniel will tell you that was the championship game to me. Um, I stayed there for the whole thing, watched the Florida series. Um, there's no one who couldn't convince me that Wake was not only just a better team than Florida, but a better matchup than LSU. And if you look at the scores of the games, you know, that tells the story within itself. So, and, and with that, you know, I haven't been shy about coming into this next season. Um, right now, I always make a pick before the season. For me right now, it's between you guys and Arkansas, and y'all are the leaders in the clubhouse. I mean, when you look at the fact that y'all go out and get Burns and Seaver King and you got you and Hartle and, you know, Kurtz coming back, like, Michael, man, I, like, I feel like y'all did what you did last year, gained that experience and only going to have momentum, even with the guys you lost. Like, some people would say it's crazy. You lost a lot of guys. You got a lot of guys coming back, got a lot of guys coming in. Um, You know, you sit there talking about the lab. And so, like, man, I'm excited. I already got uh, – I plan on being there for the Duke series. Um, people ask me why Duke, Mike. It's funny. Y'all won't release your damn schedule, but Duke released theirs, and I plan ahead. Like, I'm at a different place every single weekend in the country watching baseball. And so I wanted to plan ahead, and Duke put theirs out, and I knew they'd be a top 25 team next year. And so I was like, 
let's let's get it. I'm gonna I'm gonna come watch Duke come to the couch. And so uh I'm pretty stoked. But you know, before we we get to the game and in this whole thing, you got the jersey behind you. You know, we've talked about Tulane, we've talked about Wake, but man, the coolest thing that you could probably do is wear the red, white, and blue and throw that baseball. Talk to us about what it meant to be a part of Team USA and just that experience in general. Uh, it, it was it was unreal. I remember, like, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've kind of dreamed about playing for Team USA and never really thought it to be, like, realistic. I mean, like, I, I never gotten invited to, like, any of the Team USA, like, trial stuff. Like, when I was in high school, I kind of – I mean, I wasn't good enough at that point. And uh, when Moose was recruiting me, he was like, all right, like, you're going to do this, 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 and, like, you're going to – like have the like maybe if you do good enough you can have the chance to go to the trials for Team USA or play for Team USA. I was like, I was a little naive, so I believed him. I was like, all right, bet let's do that. And um, no, it was really cool. I remember uh, after a while, I started like thinking, uh, like I might I might get invited to this. Like this is, I I, I remember like thinking about those like the like watching everyone who did it the years before I me mean, I was like oh, that'd be really cool like that's what I want to do I want to play on the collegiate national team and I never really thought it'd be too realistic and then like late in the year I was like all right I, I was like I kind of started like expecting my invite like wanting it to get here and it didn't for a while but and I got it and it was the most like surreal thing ever um it was really really cool and I um after Omaha like everyone gets home everyone's saying goodbye I remember Harden, Harden and I went to the trials so we had to go through or had the opportunity to go through. And um, it was also like mission wasn't done yet. Like, cause I was very happy to get the invite and I know it's like, all right, I'm going to make this team. There's like, there's no way you're going to put me on this like trials and give me the opportunity to do this and not like, I'm not, not making this team. Um, obviously I wouldn't tell anyone that I was kind of just thinking that. And um, so yeah, I had the opportunity uh, through well in the trials and, uh, made a team. It was, it was really humbling, really. Like every single day, I remember I'd put on the jersey and then I like I'd be wearing like a like a sweatshirt over it or like a like cut off hoodie. I was like, no, nah, I can't. I can't be wearing like a cut off hoodie right now. I'm wearing like a Team USA like jersey. I got to show this. So I mean, it was the whole time I was there. It was just like this is like I was like I gotta appreciate this. This is special. Yeah, man. It's um definitely I'm. It's got to be up there with Omaha and just like uh, on a personal accomplishment, probably, you know, up there with, you know, if if you win a national championship, I'm sure making that Team USA team in a national championship kind of they're on the same playing field. Like that's two major accomplishments that a lot of people can't say that they've ever had the opportunity to do or even have accomplished. So one of the two that you've done, you have an opportunity to to win a national championship and you know based on everything that we see everything that we read you guys have a solid chance of of going back to omaha and if you do that you know you know you always got a chance so um mike we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the interview and we're gonna play a game man you down to play a game works for me all right it's called this or that it's very simple i give you two options you choose one option or the other can't say both, can't say neither. Just pick one, whatever your heart is calling to you, and be decisive. Yeah. All right, so with that, we got to plug a little sponsor because if you notice, I'm repping a nice Chinook Cedary T-shirt. I got some swag. I got a, 
I got a box just full of junk. I mean, it's it is full of hats. It's a nice little hat. Look at that. That's oh, yeah. pretty sweet. That's a, that's a solid hat. Let's throw it on real quick. Boom. I got a little koozie. I got stickers. But even better, even better than all that, I got product. Shout out to Brandon and the boys at Chinook Cedary for hooking me up. I got a whole box of original. I've got Parmesan pepper. I've got hatch chili. I've got cinnamon toast. I've got it all. Every flavor, every variety. Appreciate the hospitality and look forward to trying all the flavors. And with that, tonight's flavor of the night, we're going to go with a little jalapeno ranch. So what I've been doing, Michael, is I've been doing a little taste test every week until and giving giving a score, giving a rating. So every episode I, I do a little taste test. So I do three seeds, um, three seeds. I don't want to have a whole bag. I don't want to be overpowered um, with with the flavor. But just know when you choose Chinook seeds, you're getting craft seeds, you're getting non-GMO, you're getting a signature roasted seed, less salt with a ton of flavor. Jim says they got more flavors than anybody out there. They got flavors from mild to wild. And if you notice, we're trying I was, to help I was ranch. prepared for you to do that. I got my three favorite with me. Oh, man. Cinnamon toast, man. I can't wait for you to try the cinnamon toast. Mm. All right. Initial. Initial. All right. So initial taste on jalapeno ranch. You taste the ranch, which you would expect to taste. A little powder. Um, what I do like is that it's not overbearing ranch. It's not too dilly. Um, it's, it's a good amount of ranch. What I also like is the seeds are huge. You know, in order to get big seeds, you got to buy jumbo seeds. And these, they give you the big ones no matter what. So I appreciate that. Easy to crack the seed, easy to get to the seed. Um, and then the last thing, which I like some spice, you get a hint of jalapeno at the very end. Just a, a little hint to tell you that it's there. So my rating for these is a nine. I'm giving the jalapeno ranch a nine, nine out of 10 solid, solid. This is my, my favorite one so far. Well, let me, tell, so far. let me tell you something about Chinook Daniel, while we got Michael on here, if he would read into his messages, he must've glossed over it because only a particular set of few to use team USA. For example, we've set up drew beam and Hagen Smith as ambassadors. They asked me to go seek out guys who I thought would be the best to represent. I said him and Nick Kurtz from Wake, which got approved. And if Mike would look at his message, I told him there's an NIL deal waiting on the table for him to be an ambassador for Chinook. Try to get this man's face on a seed bag. He ain't answered me yet, but I got him on the podcast now. I'm sure I got it. There his it answer. is. There it is. See, your face, the face of Team USA Baseball, you may not know that, but in my eyes, you're the face of Team USA Baseball. And, Michael, you could be the face of Chinook Seeds. I mean, I like, think. yeah, it, it is. Like, you know, I, I got to rephrase what I told you earlier. You know, you had two really good personal accomplishments um, that you have the opportunity to succeed in. One, making Team USA Baseball. 
two winning a national championship. Really, you need to add a third one. That's putting your face on a bag of sunflower seeds. Like, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. I would buy that bag ten times out of ten. So, all right, to the game, so we can get you out of here. Um, I'll start off with an easy question: PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, PlayStation. What's your favorite game? Um, probably last one I played was like Madden. So, okay, solid, solid choice. All right. Would you rather have breakfast for breakfast or breakfast for dinner? Breakfast for breakfast. Hmm. Daniel, are you are you opposed though? Are you opposed to breakfast for dinner? Because there are some weirdos out there that are like, no, you can't have breakfast for dinner. No, not at all. I mean, when I get when I get hungry, I go in my kitchen and make pancakes at night. Daniel, on pros and pros and Joe's earlier, my heart was so happy because Joe Lander and Lindsay both said they want breakfast for dinner, which is what I want. Hey, I think breakfast at any time is great. But I'm, I, I I'm sure a, miss I'm with Michael. I'm with Michael. Let's let's go throw some pancakes. But I, at I nine, missed, at, nine at night. I missed you on Monday's episode. I can't believe you missed the episode where a guest said his favorite breakfast item was waffles and started to describe waffles. And I was like, Daniel wasn't here for the waffles answer. I love waffles. Those little pockets that can hold anything. Syrup, <laughs> peanut butter, butter, you name it. All right, Michael, back to you. If you were left on an island with either your worst enemy or no one, which option would you choose? So you're stranded out there, to be clear. Not yeah. just left on one. You're stranded. you're stranded. I'd be interested to see who my worst enemy is. So I'll take that person. Hmm. That's, pretty, that's pretty good if you... Don't know who your worst enemy is because you're you're such a good guy. Like you don't have any enemies. Oh, there's uh, somebody he struck out that hates his guts. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's 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 plenty of guys out there that, that have struck out against against him. Um who hits better bombs? Nick Kurtz or Brock Wilkin? I plead the fifth. No, no, sir. <laughs> that's not how this game works look all um, all the other weight guests didn't get to, look tommy hawk picked his come on now it, it's um not, it's not like we're gonna clip the audio and post it on social media and tag brock or nick or both do you know what, the, tag you know what the smart is, answer is daniel it, look one of them has moved on one of them he has to play with this year yeah that's nick, that's the answer yeah. i mean nick had a homer off me like Three days ago, so <laughs> I think that's my answer. I there mean, you go. Brock said last week. He said I asked him about being the ACC home run king, and he goes, "Well, it's only going to last for a year because my own teammate's going to break it." So that's how he feels about it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fair statement. I mean, those those two are, I mean, crazy back to back. All right, Michael, would you rather own a massive yacht or a private jet? Yeah. Yeah, you can just go anywhere. It's it's just quick, easy. Like with a yacht, you're only you can only go to you know places that border water. That's you know, Daniel, point. I've said yacht the whole time, but as I wrote out my baseball schedule, a jet <laughs> would make my life a lot easier. Like that that nine hour drive to Winston Salem, I would love to yeah. eliminate that nine hour drive, and I lose an hour on top of that to the East Coast. 
You know what would make a nine-hour drive to Winston-Salem better? Chinook seeds. <laughs> yeah, if you opened up a nice solid bag of Chinook seeds with Michael Massey's face on it. Ah, uh, that I mean, he's got to he's got to be on cinnamon toast though. Got those, those ones are good. Those ones are really good. Is it, yeah, that, we didn't even ask. What is what is your favorite flavor? It's either those. But they have barbecue, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Smokehouse Barbecue is. Yeah. You know, Ty Floyd is the first person to say dill pickle, Daniel, and I just don't like pickles. It's weird to think that I would purposely put something pickle flavored in my mouth. I'm I'm dread I'm dreading the episode that I get to dill pickle <laughs> and I have to do the taste test. I'm not even. Well, I might sure. be surprised. Have I'm you tried sure the parm? In the dugout nope. this summer, Michael. Have you tried? Have you tried the parm? The parmesan pepper. Yeah, they're not bad. I like. Them. Yeah, a lot of people like those. So. I think my favorite was probably, I think a couple like the cinnamon toast ones or the cinnamon ones are they're good for like a few, but like if I'm gonna eat a whole bag, I gotta go with the barbecue. Like Um, if I'm punch on them for a whole game, I think I gotta choose the barbecue. So Daniel, you know the the account Bomb Squad on Twitter, he has actually said he mixes a couple different flavors. I think it's maybe barbecue and hash chalet. Um, but he said he's found the perfect like concoction of like seeds. And so now, Daniel, we got regular flavors that are just mild to wild, but now like we're interacting. Oh, that's that's what I plan on doing is is once I've hit all of them individually, then I'm gonna start mixing and matching and seeing how this thing goes. I'm I'm gonna have what what we call a flavor lab. I'm gonna have a flavor <laughs> lab for sunflower seeds. So all right, Michael, last question, and then you can get out of here. Would you rather win the lottery or win a national championship? Win a natty. Oh. So if uh, I if I brought a suitcase to you and I slid it in front of you and I opened it up and I said, Michael, this is all yours. It's a million dollars in cash. I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll sweeten the deal. I'll make it three mil. Three mil. You can have this, or I can take this away, and you can have this national championship. I mean, I think the ring has a little more value. Look, let me tell. Let me tell you, it ain't got three million. Your your teammates Brock came on there and with the saddest face and said, "Man, it hurts so bad. I just I want that national championship." And Tommy comes right behind him and says, "F that, give me the bag." <laughs> And I was like, you got two different personalities right there. Brock, man, he he said that championship was so close. He had tasted I want that ring. Tommy said, drop me the bag. Yep. Money money will come and go. I think it'd be cool to get the ring. Yeah, the guys with the ring say they wouldn't trade it for anything or the memories that come with the ring. That's the key, right? I think, Daniel, I think it's not just the ring, right? That's the key component. It's the memories that come with that that are irreplaceable. Look, man, you can have the ring, you can have the memories, you can have it all. Pay me, pay me. Show, show him that ring, Daniel, just so he knows you're not full of crap. He t- he told me he'd sell me that for a hundred thou, for a hundred k. That's all yours. <laughs> That's, uh, all yours. <laughs> nah, it's uh, I I get it, man. It's it's um, uh, I I think Jim Jim and I joke because you know when you have a family like we have kids like the money would be like the right, the right move. Um, but 
as a player in the moment, or I think, you know, winning the championship's the right move because that's what you work hard for. That's yeah. what it's all about. So, all right, Michael, anything you want to plug or promote before you get out of here? Nothing that I can think of. Well, I'll do it for you. If you guys want to know what Michael Massey's up to on a Wednesday night, he could be recording a podcast. Who knows? He might even be making pancakes at midnight. <laughs> you never know. Going over to IG, Michael.Massey13. You can check him out, be up to date with him, see what's going on in his personal life. Or if you want to follow Wake Forest Baseball, if you want to see what the Demon Deacons are up to, during the season, you want to get hype videos, you want to get scores, updates, starting rotations, you name it. It's all there. IG at Wake Baseball. Michael, man, we wish you nothing but the best. Uh, we wish you a solid season, a healthy season. And who knows, we might have you back on talking about a national championship. That'd be amazing. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Michael Massey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we got to talk Major League Baseball playoffs. We got to talk University of Memphis football meltdowns. We've got to talk Penn State, Ohio State, Cowboys, Saints, you name it. We're going to talk it all. We'll catch you guys back here soon. Do you like having posters and supporting your favorite athletes? Well, the Athletic Collection gives you a chance to do that with the best posters in the game. They have many different teams with many different sports. Myself as an LSU fan, I just got myself LSU baseball, LSU gymnastics, and LSU soccer posters to put up in the man cave. So get your posters today at the Athletic Collection, which you can find on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We've got some headlines for you. And Jim, we got to lead off with, with the big thing that's happening right now. MLB playoffs, we've got championship series, American League, Nationally, you've got Phillies, Diamondbacks, you've got Astros, Rangers. Currently, the Phillies are, are rocking and rolling. They're up two games, and you had the Astros and the Rangers who played game three tonight. Astros took that game, but the previous two games um, were all Texas. So as we look at the championship series, man, we'll, we'll start with the National League. What are, what are some things that stick out to you? So I think it's what we talked about, right? The Diamondbacks are a great story, a young team, right? And I think now is when it's came to the point that the Cinderella is over and the team that's got the big names is dominating, right? So, you know, it was fun for a while, but Philly's not even just – it's not even just the names. We we talked about it with, with Michael. Like, they're just so hot, too. Like, I mean, they're doing everything right right now. And so I don't think it's an indictment on Arizona as much as it is. It's just, man, Philly is just on another level right now. I mean, Philly's built for this moment. I mean, you saw them last year, and now, like, the next progression is to win a championship, and they have the right pieces to do it. And, I, you know, when we broke this down, I told you guys, like, in order for Philly to win, they would have to hit the long ball and – that's what they're doing. They're crushing the uh, they, baseball. They have a uh, a record through four postseason games. Uh, so yeah, it's ridiculous. I got a question for you. Getting ahead of myself, something that I was I was thinking about. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time since we started this podcast. We've talked about 
Mike Trout and the Angels, right? And, you know, Mike Trout was the best player, you know, this, that, and the other, and, and he still is. But when you talk about cementing a legacy, if Bryce Harper gets one and Mike can't even get to the playoffs, like, can you feasibly actually have, when it's all said and done, Trout ahead of Harper? I mean, you know championships man. matter, bro. You, to me, what matters more than anything is you take a guy like Bryce Harper who had, you know, the LeBron James effect. Like, he was a, a prodigy in the next, you know, you know, big thing and has lived up to that hype. Like, and that's hard to do, and not many people can do that. Um, and I think on that alone, if you if you add a couple of World Series in there with it, now you're talking about a, a Hall of Famer. You're talking about a guy that could cement himself as far as one of the best players to ever play the game. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, we do it in other sports, man. Titles matter. And when they start stacking you up and compare to you other, they can say, well, Mike Trout had a better this, this, and this. And then they say, like you said, he has one title, has two titles, maybe even three titles. And, like, because, you know, we know what we know. Mike Trout's not going to get one in the Angels. It's just – We've been seeing this how many years now? It just they're not even sniffing playoffs. We can't even feasibly talk about a title. Right. You know, and and you know, their their best, you know, asset is debatable whether he's even gonna be there much longer. Right. Um looking at the American League championship series, you got you know, Houston and Texas. I think everyone is well aware of how we feel about Houston. They pick up a big win tonight. Um, what I'm hoping isn't the case, but I'll ask you, do you think the win tonight is the turning point for this series and they have an uh, actual shot? Or do you think Texas is still just the buzzsaw and they're getting hot at the right time? Um, I mean, I believe this is, is very evenly matched and it can go either way. But what's huge is Houston – going and getting one back away, right? They go to Globe Life and get the win. If they can even this thing up and get back to Minute Maid, then, yeah, I think it's over. So, for Texas, they, you know, I really feel like game four is a must-have in that momentum. You talk, you got to get it back. If you let them get two in your house and then go back home with them, or no, does it still go two, three, two? Uh, I think it's – Two, three, yeah, I think it's two, three, two. Okay, yeah, that's right. Baseball is different than basketball. Um, still, the you don't want to lose that momentum, nonetheless, because if they do get the next one, even if you're able to take Game Five, you're still giving Houston a chance to go back home for the final two in their house. So I still feel like Game Four is just uh, is a is a must have for these guys. You want to get that momentum back. Don't let Houston get it. But when you look at these two teams, right? When we're talking about Philly and Arizona, that's not the case with Houston and Texas. Both these teams or elite level caliber, they do have the names um, and made for this moment. So I think you got to hold everything in a perfect world from a fan perspective. This is something, even though we do feel how we do about Houston, just I would want to see a game seven between these two. Yeah. Um, well, I want to see, I just want to see more baseball, but what I don't want to see is a game seven in Houston. Like that, because we, I, I think we all know how that's going to end. Um, and I don't want to see the Astros in the World Series. You know what I do like about Houston, though? And I sent you the video. And Verlander had that speech when they punched their ticket to get to this. 
And I love it. He said, all the work we've put in all season from the beginning, this, that, and the other. And he's like, I wasn't even fucking here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Verlander's somebody that I can get behind, man. For sure. I mean, guys are big-time players. Won championships with multiple clubs. Like He, he wasn't cheating. I mean, he was throwing the ball. We know what no, he was he, doing. For sure. All right, man. College football, LSU. Talk to me. Yeah, man. Uh they keep on keep on moving. Um, take care of business. Auburn is a good test in this sense, right? They don't have a great offense, but they have a really good defense, um, a top 20 defense. And so for the offense to go out there and not skip a beat and do that against Auburn's defense, I think just continues to solidify. Um, as the rankings show, they're a top three offense in the country. And that's something that you want to see when you got, you know, games like Alabama and Florida, you know, looming ahead. Um, you know, Auburn, they're, like I said, their offense isn't very good. Um, they're not a great team, not not a terrible team. They're, they're very middle of the road. But um, any win in the SEC is good. Any win where you dominate the way they did is good. So I feel good about LSU going forward. Defense um, improving, right? Like that's what you want to see is 1% better at least every day. Um, so as long as they're getting better week to week, I feel good about it. So um, they took care of business. And, you know, since we're not going to talk about them going forward, um, the picture got out um, today. I actually was one of the pe- first to have access to, uh, to it. So it's pretty cool. As a veteran, um, I'm stoked about it. The camouflage LSU end zones to tribute Army coming in this weekend. It's phenomenal. And, you know, the guys ask me, they're like, when's when's the last time you've seen another team? And not like trying to say it boastfully about LSU, but like they're like, when's the last time you've seen another team do this when Army came down for football? And, you know, unless people just start posting it, I haven't seen it. I can't think of it. So for LSU to do that, especially when people like to criticize LSU for this, that, or the other, um, big ups to them, man. Saluting Army when they come to town. And like I said, as a veteran, I couldn't be more appreciative. Yeah, definitely. What I, what I will say is like, I think if Army goes to like different places like LSU, like I think that's pretty cool. But what I what I don't think is cool is if it happens every game for Army, like right, then it kind of loses its luster. Like I I like that people are acknowledging Army and the services, and they have a game that's dedicated to them. That's cool, but like you know if if army is back in the american for instance and every year like you like i i just don't think army wants to see that kind of stuff game after game after game but you know i thought what memphis did for navy was cool obviously they um they don't get to see all the stuff outside but in game um they were on the field for the paratroopers coming down and everything and so that was really cool i i think in some way like you said you don't want every game to be the same but as a armed service team they have to feel good when the opponent respects them and appreciates them for who they are oh absolutely so let's get to memphis um it was a tale of two halves man and really to start the second half, Memphis gets the ball, they go down, they score, and they go up 21 to 10. You're at the game, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, all right, I am a fan and I'm a realist, but I felt really good about the score and what we just did coming out of 
out of halftime out of the locker room going down scoring a touchdown. So well, it's because both it's not even just scoring the touchdown. It's both sides of the ball, right? Because your defense started making stops too. Um, so I mean, you we always talk about halftime adjustments, right? So um, you know, the fact that you look good to close the first half, you come out, you like you said, you score the opening drive, you have to feel like, man, nothing's a done deal, but you you feel really good. I mean, Memphis with an 11 point lead, the way their offense is moving, the way their defense is playing. And I felt like the stadium felt that way. You know, you talked about being there. Everybody was in a really excited, you know, mood. Like I, it, it was a fun environment to be in. Yeah. At what point in that game do people start, does the energy start getting sucked out when it's, when Tulane comes back and scores or it's, third and nine and they convert uh third and nine on a run play yeah it wasn't that first score um it was as it progressed and it's like the play you said and I think I think once they go score then our offense gets stopped and then their offense is moving again it's you know that's when the oh shit button like was hit and then once they took the lead um you could definitely feel the air sucked out of the stadium and then obviously we go out there and the offense all of a sudden, I mean, and that, and that's the thing. And that's where I'm going to ask you, you know, as the, the big tiger fan, but like you said, the realist, once, once you see how the offense looks post that drive and the play calling, the, the mistakes that, you know, just looked inept, you, like you said, they just, a, the run game was all of a sudden, like, why did you stop running the ball? Like, where was your head at? Like, I mean, so, you know, one thing that I'll say is we, from the offensive standpoint in the first half, very, very balanced, throwing the ball when you need to, not having to force too much, too many things. I will say we were a couple of drop passes away from being up more. Um, but inevitably we're up, you know, 21 to 10 in the third. And the turning point was exactly this, was you force them into a third and long and they a simple run, a third and nine run, and you can't stop them. And then from there, your defense just could not get stops. Multiple times on third down could not get stops. And it was third and short, third and short, third and short. And, you know, I, I would say they gave up a couple of those big plays that we talked about last week. On I thought of you immediately the when they event. took that long shot down the sideline. I was like, and there it was. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't a touchdown, but I know you know what I'm talking about. It was like a 45 yeah. yard pass, and I was like, and it was it was like, here we go, man. And because the D the DB got burned, I saw it off the line. I seen dude running by. Yeah. So honestly, it could have been a touchdown had the throw been out ahead of the receiver. And I thought that was the play that we we talked about. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I just don't – for a long time I believed this, but now I truly will speak it. I don't think Ryan Silverfield is the guy. I don't. Um, every, not, not when your team – because this goes back to last year, right? Like the the collapses in the second half were a common theme. What, they happened four times last year? And so, yeah, like – now that it's carrying over to this year and you know that a lot of that obviously you can't blame everything on coaching but when your your team just looks flat like that 
that that's usually a reflection of you. It almost always is. Well, what I what I am starting to hate is he's got the Josh Pastner effect <laughs> in post game conference, you know, press conferences. Post game, he'll talk about all the good things that they had, and he'll talk about well, you know, we we still got some things we got to work on, and it's he always says, you know, it's it, we will fix them, and it's my job to make sure they get fixed. All right, bro. Well, at what point do we start holding you accountable for doing what you say is my job to fix these things? Right. Because they're not fixed. They're not. And so, like, what's what's most aggravating is they have a good likelihood, it, you know, based on the schedule of finishing eight and four. And at that point, what do you do with this guy? Do you keep him? I mean, you it's really hard to fire a guy if he wins eight, nine games and even winning 10 games is still realistic. So that, so that was a discussion on the radio and, and they went right where you did. And they're out on Silverfield too. And with that, they, their part that they're scared about is what you just said. Eight and four may be able to retain his job. So Jason and John said, you are at a weird part where, you don't want to root against your team, but your team almost has to do bad so you can get rid of this guy. And so what they're saying, it sounds it sounds rude, but, like, are they wrong? Especially because they feel like you do, right? Like, they don't want to lose games, but, man, if it's if it has to happen, because if you go eight and four and he stays around, you know what's on deck for next year, and that's what you're trying to get away from. And so if you got to suffer some losses now so we can get better for the future – yeah, I mean, the the problem lies is who's out there. Like, who do you go get? I mean, the the scary part of the scary part about this loss was um, it was predicted by a lot of people. They said you're at a point where you have a chance to get Memphis fans on board for football, or if you're to lose this game, you probably aren't able to retain them the rest of the year. And that it's a sad reality, right? We mean well, you a lot of it is the the schedule of teams that right. you're playing. Like you you should you play UAB. You should you should win every like every one of these next games until you get to SMU. You should theoretically win all but of But you needed games. you needed this one because it was the big one. It was the one that would hype and make people believe yeah. we have a we have a chance at a New Year's Six Bowl, and now you can run through the conference, get win the rematch against Tulane, and that's not a reality because they're not putting a two-loss team from the AAC there. So, like, I mean, this this was huge. You and and it's Memphis deserves better fan support than that, regardless of Silverfield. Yeah. Right? But the reality is, people are who they are, and you needed that one to get people on board because if you win that one, your next home game you're going to at least match the attendance at minimal, I feel like, for Tulane because everybody is now bought in. Yeah, you 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 missed an opportunity. I mean, Boise State isn't winning games like you had hoped after, you know, after you beat them, like you would hope that they would have won some games with their struggling. But where you did get some help is, you know, a Missouri team that you lost to by one possession and had opportunities to win ended up going and beating a ranked Kentucky team which, you know, just favors you. So if you can win. I mean, if you look at how good game, Missouri played LSU and then beat Kentucky, Missouri I mean, isn't fraudulent at all. No, not at all. Um, 
But yeah, I haven't said this at all, but 17 days. 17 days. You know what that means? Mm. Memphis basketball opens up 17 days. And I, I hate to look at it that way, but I mean, the reality is it's 17 days. Because you got, I mean, we just talked about it. We talked about what really the ceiling is down for Memphis football, whereas the ceiling for Memphis basketball, if things come together, could be much, much greater. And so people are going to naturally be excited about that. Yep. So let's go to your excitement. You've fought a lot of people this weekend over Caleb Williams and USC. I mean, obviously, we had the conversation last week about him and USC and them, whether they're fraudulent or not. I didn't believe that they were totally fraudulent because I believed that they were playing the most fraudulent team. <laughs> and I still believe that, you know, just because you beat a fraudulent team doesn't make you non-fraudulent. Yeah, I mean, I didn't turn around and write Notre Dame to be a world beater, but so. they had the number 12 ranked defense, Daniel. And I, and I said on this podcast, Last year, the top defense they had played was ranked 57. This year, it's 47 in Arizona. Caleb Williams, so you know, locked in, number one pick, best player, whatever. Um, you know, and here was the thing, right? Like, that offensive line was getting their ass whipped, and he wasn't making any plays, right? Like, if you're going to be talked about as this, you know, can't miss draft, show me what I've seen from other guys who are dual threat, make amazing plays. And he didn't, and that's why I'm not sold on him. I wasn't sold on USC, and we knew their defense wasn't all that good. Notre Dame scored more on them than they scored it, you know, with any of these other teams. And so USC is when you look at that the schedule we talked about, uh, man, they're in more trouble than just that one game. But yeah, um, I don't root for somebody's failure, but I just when I'm watching. Jaden Daniels from LSU, who's putting up the ridiculous stats against good teams. And I'm watching Penix take a backseat to Caleb Williams and not be talked about enough. Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted USC to lose, and I wanted Caleb Williams to be exposed. And three picks in the first half, he did that. And so, yeah, and like I said, it's only fixing to get worse for USC. And while I talk about local radio, you know, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jessica. Uh, Benson. Yeah, Jessica Benson, you know, she's a big USC fan. Um, and so before she got into Grizzlies talk, they asked her how she felt. And she said, I'll be honest, this team is not very good. And then she doubled down on the Caleb Williams thing. Like, I, I felt a connection with Jessica. She was like, if I'm an NFL team, I would take Drake May before I would take Caleb Williams. And I was like, look at this. Because it shows – the reason I said it is because she's not being a homer. Yeah, and then, well – then he comes out today and whether he says what he says or somebody in his team says it, he's still, he's got a bad stigma and a bad look about him headed into the NFL, whether that's this coming up draft or he comes back to school and it's the following draft, but either way, like they're now you ever seen a player ask for partial ownership in a team, not a player that just got his ass beat. <laughs> yeah, bad bad week to ask. Should have asked a week before. But but Aaron Aaron Rodgers just did the same thing and they flat out told him no. Yeah. 
And he's a proven commodity. Right. So I don't know, man. But yeah. Um I don't I don't know like I still think he'll go high in the draft. I still think he will go number one if he was to leave. Um, whether Did you that's see right, he has an actual list of like six teams that are the only ones he'll play for at that? Like, and this was this was a few days prior. I didn't see that. I just heard like the verbal today. But I mean, what this kind of a, he's a diva, bro? I don't. I wouldn't want nothing to do with him. If the Saints had an opportunity at him, I'm good. Yeah, whatever. Um, all right, slate of games this week. Big one. Um, Penn State, Ohio State. I think each week we have the one game where we see who is for real and who's not in regards to college football playoffs. So a few weeks ago we had Oklahoma, Texas. Last week we had USC, Notre Dame. No, Oregon, Washington. Or, or, I'm sorry, Oregon and Washington. And then now this week we have Penn State, Ohio State. This is a typical game that Penn State loses. It, let me ask you. Was. Let me ask you a question before we get into the game itself. How much does it bother you that the best game of the week is at eleven a.m.? But see, that's the thing. Like, that's the shouldn't the this big, be a night game big, though? Yeah. Well, if it was at Penn State, it would one hundred percent be a night game. But um, I think it's that foot that push for Fox to do that big game, you know, you know, games, you know, noon game, whatever, big noon Saturday or whatever. And like, to be honest, like those games have been pretty entertaining and pretty competitive. So like they're, they're, they've, they've got something there, but. But it's it's like for me, like I'm going to go watch Mississippi state fall ball. Right. Like, and now those two, get in the way of each other, I would have been able to go watch Mississippi State fall ball and be back in front of my TV in time for a six or seven night game. So for me, I hate it. Well, and what I like is the night cap game to be the the primetime game. But now there's no there's not a game that we want to watch, you know? And now I have to balance um uh, start time for Memphis in the middle of all that, you know. But either way, um, let's get the picks. Penn State, Ohio State, who you got? Um, I'm going to pick Ohio State only, only because they're at home. Um, because I think these two teams are very even, evenly matched. Um, I don't think that either has shown to be, um, unbeatable right but they have been worthy of you know being highly ranked um so something's got to give um and the difference is ohio state's at home yeah i think i'm i'm the opposite i'm gonna go penn state and i think ohio state's not a tough team as much as ryan day wants to believe that they are this tough team calling out lou holtz like, well, they've had a few tough. struggle wins. I mean, because I, I mean, bet it, it, covered it, it the over. A, it took a meltdown by Notre Dame for them to win. Um, it took a a, a flag. With the Indiana uh, was who was who was it? They barely beat, and that was the one that killed me. It was the first one that they didn't even come close to over. And I thought Ohio yeah. State or not over, but covering the spread. I was like Ohio State used to be a lot for spreads, and I think they haven't even covered one yet this season. Yeah. Um, 
and I don't think they're going to cover this week. Four and zero. I'll take Penn State. Um, Tennessee at Alabama. You know, Tennessee hasn't won at at Alabama in a really long time. Alabama to me is not the same team. I think defensively they're pretty good, but offensively they're not. They're not the same team that we've seen in the past. But Milrose making strides week to week. He is, but Tennessee defense is is good. Like, I mean, he, it's going to be it's going to be a tough day for him, and I think they're going to have to get the running game going in order to free him up to make, you know, less pressurized decisions. If not, I think it's going to be a long day for them. And I think Tennessee will beat them. Um, But with that being said, I think Alabama is going to win. Yeah. This this has become an interesting situation for me because this is a game that I, I would have always wanted Tennessee to win. But if LSU is to have an outside shot of, of you know running the table and making it to the CFP, um, they need Alabama to not lose any more games and be as highly ranked as possible when LSU plays them in Tuscaloosa, obviously knocking them off in order for this dream to happen. So Alabama is a nine point right favorite. And Super then you talked about, but then you talked about well, you you said a key thing right. What happens when Tennessee goes somewhere matters because look what happened with Florida right. Um, Tennessee never wins there, and then they go there and get housed. And so, you know, history matter and stats matter. And I think they feel like, you know, Tennessee, just like when they went to Gainesville, it's going to happen when they go to Tuscaloosa. Um, I do think Alabama has gotten better. They look like the better team. And just because I need it to happen for LSU's sake, I hate to pick against Tennessee, especially us having Tennessee guests. But I'm going to go Alabama. I mean, I, I feel you. Um, Utah, USC. I'm honestly not going to be watching that game. You know what game intrigues me more? Duke, Duke Florida, Florida State. State. Yep, Duke, Florida State. Um, but looking at Utah, USC. I refuse to watch Duke after they killed our parlay. Well, I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just surprised kidding. you're going to watch USC after the. No, they made me. Watched. They made me five hundred dollars. Well, do you think USC gets back on track? No, and that's why I put this game on here, and I wanted to people to hear me again. USC is going to lose again, and I want everybody to not hear me be right once but twice. I think USC is going to win, and that's only because I watched Utah play, and they look like hot garbage. They were not good. Not good. The 14th ranked team in the nation. Talk about them like that. Yeah, they were not good. <laughs> no bueno. Well, since, since you don't care about that game, and you were talking about the other one, does does Duke have a shot in your mind? Because they are a 14, as the 16th ranked team, they are a 14 and a half point dog. Do you give them a puncher's chance in this game? I 100% give them more than a puncher's chance in this game. Oh, we got Florida State on upset alert. I I think Florida State wins, but Florida State likes to make things very interesting 
and I don't think this Duke team is a team that you want to let hang around and make things very interesting. Um, you know, for the majority of the game against Syracuse, it was, you know, 10-3, and then they started pulling away. They ended up winning 41-3, and the defense was great, but it wasn't their best game. Clemson was a struggle. Boston College was a struggle. LSU, I mean, it, it got away from LSU late, um, but they let teams hang around and bad things happen, and this isn't a team that you want to let hang around. I'm going to – I would take Florida State, and I will take Florida State, but I would say, like, it's this is a dicey game for them. I'll tell you who I got on upset alert, and I'm not picking against them, but in the same regards you are, a team that – um, it could get scary for us staying in that night slot. Ole Miss at Auburn. I told you that the Auburn defense looked pretty damn good um, um, throughout the season. And then, you know, LSU gave them fits. But even still, I saw glimpses. Um, playing at Auburn's different than playing, you know, Auburn had to come to Baton Rouge. Um, Ole Miss is historically known, Daniel, right? Like for end up dropping the ball at some point. Yeah. Um, I think this could be it. I'm not like I said. I'm not picking it, but it's one of those ones that, especially if you're you're SEC fans, right? Like, and you're looking at those slots, um, you would be maybe probably more prone to watch that than Duke, Florida State, or Utah, USC. So, um, might be one that could get interesting. Very true. Very true. Memphis UAB. Who you got? Man, Memphis. And the Battle of the Bones, the coolest looking trophy ever that couldn't be more meaningless. Because as they said, how the hell is Birmingham in a Battle of the Bones when no one's ever talked about their barbecue ever? Very true. Very true. That is a cool ass trophy, though. I will say that. All right. NFL. Cowboys. Let me tell you about the Cowboys. All right. Monday night, a playoff team showed up. They figured out how to win. They weren't their best, but I think a lot of it was just due to what the Chargers were allowing them to do. But you saw CeeDee Lamb get worked into the mix more than normal, which is great. You had first down passes for the first time all season, creating second and short, third and short opportunities as opposed to second and longs and third and long opportunities, which made things a lot easier. You converted on big time key third downs when you had to have them. You had Tony Parr going for 60 yards on a third down, which really was the game. Um, defensively, you – Forced a lot of pressure, but I think Herbert does really well being pushed out of the pocket and moving on the run. Um, however, when you needed a sack late in the game, you didn't have any sacks the entire game, but you got one when you needed it by the, the best player on the field. Um, you know, so when you take all that and you end up with a win – to me, that's what a playoff football team is about, and that's what a good playoff football team is about, is not being necessarily good at everything, but figuring out the game plan, the scheme, and working with it 
and working with what you're given and what you're seeing and, and winning games based on that. And I, Well, I, I'll cool. tell you this about the defense. I looked this up um, because I was pretty confident, but I wanted to make sure um, this season they have scored – the Chargers scored 34 against Miami, scored 24 against Tennessee, scored 28 against Minnesota, scored 24 against Las Vegas. So, you know, held them to their season low 17 and so I think that speaks to defense because we know the Chargers have never had a problem scoring the ball. So yeah. to to create the turnover at the end, to hold them to 17 points, I think it continues to speak to Dallas's defense. And I think what stood out to me was um, Dak with a good game, right? And they were talking about his mobility, and it's something that he doesn't like to do, but they talked about going back to his Mississippi State days. It was something that he did do, and maybe he needs to go back to using those legs more. And not and when you say using legs, people automatically assume running downfield. That's not what I mean. But getting outside the pocket and making throws. And so yeah, I, I think there's – I mean, it's a lot of basically probably coaches keeping him safe because when he's been injured, it's because he's running the football or he's moving in one way or another. Um, like I said, there's a difference between running East and West and North and South oh, yeah. and run the football. Well, but uh, you see him a lot now and he, he just likes to stand tall in the pocket and not move out of it. And when you, when you have athletic ability like him, sometimes you just got to get outside that pocket, give your playmakers a chance to get open and make life easier. The, the one thing that I'll say about Dak that he has to do a better job with is taking sacks on second down and third down. Like you got it. Like, and I think him getting outside the pocket and having an ability to throw the ball away is kind of, you know, leads into what you were saying, but we got to be smarter about, you know, when we're going to take a sack and when, when we're going to throw the ball away. Um, but Saints, recap it. Man, Derek Carr, Michael we were, Thomas. We were talking Thomas about Cabrera. we were talking about Silver Silverfield, and you know, we've had this conversation about Dennis Allen. We have been open about it. It just ain't it. And Pete Carmichael as the offensive coordinator ain't it. Any and it, it kind of proves and solidifies. You know, people said, well, he was calling underneath Sean Payton, but Sean Payton was still calling the plays. If you watched. Um, the play calling is terrible, the team mentality, and I'm just not a big Derek Carr guy, and I was so excited coming into the season. I just, he just makes too many bad throws, missing, you know, back-to-back weeks, just missing Olave wide open for touchdowns. Like, it just – those are the difference in the game when you lose by a touchdown. I'm just – you have a championship defense, undoubtedly. Um, Like, we were just talking about Dallas, but – they're not scoring as much as Dallas. Dallas is not scoring as much as you'd like them to, but they're scoring a lot more than the Saints are. Um, they have struggled to score all season. And, you know, tomorrow's probably going to give a false look, right? So no different than the New England. Everybody, everybody was quick to say, well, maybe this the Saints team is better than we thought because they beat New England 34-0. Well, New England has shown that they're just terrible, right? And then – they're going to get the Jaguars tomorrow without Trevor Lawrence. And with that defense, they're probably going to win tomorrow night's game. And then people are going to start to say, well, maybe the Saints team's better. And so, you know, when you're playing the schedule that they are, they're probably going to get a lot of wins just because they're playing a lot of bad teams. But the reality is the Saints aren't very good. Right. Huh. 
they can still win that division, like we always talked about. Them and the, yeah, them they're, and the threes, Bucks. They're, they're three and three. The Bucks are only winning the division because they didn't play, they had a bye week. Well, three I mean, they, they also beat the Saints head to head pretty easily. Oh, so, yeah. and then, and they lost to a Lions team that, you know, is for real. So, like, I, I mean, I think if you ask me, not even just because the Bucks beat them, but I mean, if you just look who's playing overall better consistently, I mean, the Bucks seem to be the better team as of right now. Like the difference, the only way I could see the Saints, you know, winning that division taking over is is if Derek Carr brings something more to the table. And as of right now, he's giving me no reason to believe that. Right. Well, looking at the games this week, not a whole lot. But the two in question that we'll, we'll talk about: Lions at the Ravens. You didn't. You, your your boys play on Thursday night. You you didn't want to. Well, it's uh, because Trevor Lawrence is is out. Like it's it just doesn't seem exciting to talk about. If the Saints can't beat a Trevor Lawrence list Jaguars, they really are bad. Yeah, let's see, uh, Lions at Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I just said I feel like the Lions are for real. And I think a great test for them is going into Baltimore and trying to solidify that. Um, Lamar is coming off a not good game. And so I think he's going to be looking to prove something. So I, I find this to be a really, really interesting game. I think it could go either way. Um, I'm actually going to pick the Ravens because – of what I just said. I feel like coming off a bad game, Lamar's going to feel like he needs something to prove. Detroit has an issue because literally all three of their running backs are hurt across the board. I don't even know who's going to be running them because I've been looking, paying attention for fantasy-wise. Like, maybe I could pick him up um, in my one league, and it's like I don't even know who the fourth back is. I picked up the third back in my one league, and then he it was out of practice today, and they said he's got a hamstring injury. I'm like, Jerry Goff going to have to throw the ball 50 times. <laughs> Which, hey, he might do it. St. Brown and him got a he, hell of a connection. He's trying to solidify a spot as the league MVP, man. He might go out there and throw five touchdowns. Well, just remember, what's cool about what Goff is doing is he was like a throw-in laughable commodity when they traded for Stafford, right? Like, here you can have our bum quarterback. Well, here he is out there doing big things, and he's not just some throw-in of a trade. That's because Motor City Dan Campbell's fucking having quad espresso shots all day. If you could pick, Daniel, if Dallas is is not going to win the NFC, I obviously know you wouldn't pick Philly, a division rival. I don't know, like – we talk about San Fran, but I don't know your feelings toward them. Would because Detroit never wins, would that be who you would like to see? I mean, I mean, obviously the Bucks would probably be the next thing just for the city, but city, right? Um, outside, but, of I mean, it's always teams, good to see a team yeah. that it never wins win, especially when they're not somebody that's like, yeah, I'd like hate, to see, right? Yeah, I mean, I could get behind Detroit, um, winning like that's I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, they've never done nothing to bother me. Like, you know, that's that's part of when you don't have success, right? They've never knocked you out of the playoffs or nothing like that to where you got a salty taste in your mouth. There are no San Francisco or there are no Green Bay, so. Do you hate Green Bay as much now that Aaron Rodgers is gone? Uh, no, I just hate Aaron Rodgers. So, so no, so no saying I don't want Green Bay – to win because I don't like your bad. It was just a si- simply Aaron Rodgers thing. Yeah, I think so. I'm kind of over it now, even though <laughs> there was a catch, but whatever. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like Aaron Rodgers. I just don't. Um, what's really petty is one of my favorite shows to watch is Jeopardy, and he was a guest host on there, and I boycotted watching it until he was done so silly but i couldn't do it um anyhow the last game dolphins at eagles probably pretty solid game but let me tell you this the dolphins have scored the most points in the nfl you would think the eagles would be up there too but they're actually not they're they're towards the top but they're not there are other teams that have scored more points than them. The point differential for the two isn't even close. The Dolphins' point differential is like a plus 68, man. It's it's ridiculous. And and for that reason, I'm I'm going with the Dolphins to win. I need the Dolphins to win. But also like the Eagles just picked up Julio Jones for what? Like, what do you need that guy for? Like, that one big catch at some point. One big catch. Like, he's had three catches in the past three years. Like, really? What are we doing with this guy? <laughs> who who are you taking? Um, I'm gonna take the Dolphins just because the Eagles have played with fire a lot of games this season. Um. You know, obviously the last one they did lose, but every game has been close. And, you know, I'm just not sold on them. They Their record maybe gave some false indication of maybe um, making people believe that they were the same team that went to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they're a bad team by no means, but when you put up the points like Miami does, like you talked about, and Philly's had their struggles, I just feel like, Miami's just a better overall team, and they're probably going to expose some more weaknesses in Philly. And, you know, because I picked Dallas to win that division, I want you and my other Dallas friends to be happy. Um, Need Philly losses, so let's go Miami. For sure, for sure. All right, Jim, let's put a bow on it around the horn. Last call, what you got? Yeah, we uh, – put some shine on them ladies and I'm going to probably surprise you, but man, um, you know, they got the accolades. Macy Hodge, guest Mississippi state soccer were picked as NCAA soccer's team of the week um, across all of NCAA. So shout out to them. And then um, Memphis women's soccer just keeps on winning. They got their last two games of the regular season at home tomorrow night in um, Sunday, I am going to Sunday since the Saints play on Thursday. Um, but yeah, they are ranked in the top 10, depending on which rankings one, they're three, one, they're nine. Um, 
but they're the real deal. And so shout out to the women on the pitch, whether in Starkville or in Memphis. Yep. For show, for show. Well, Jim, another great show. I want to thank our guest, Michael Massey for joining us. Hopefully uh, he'll get us a national championship. We can bring him back on that way. You can hopefully solidify your pick and world series <laughs> champion for a fourth year in a row. And, you know, all will be right in the world. Um, but I do want to thank Michael for coming on, sharing his story. If you like hearing Michael's story or you just like hearing us average Joe's talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, thumbs up, hearts, hugs, love. We'll take it all. And check out the website, Jim. You got to get on me about the website. You've done a good job. You've updated it. It's it's brand new. It's it's hot off the press. It's it's the place to go to get your in off the bench info. You want to see upcoming guests. You want to see previous episodes. You want to see sponsors. You want to be a sponsor. Check out the website. Let us know what you think. And and by all means, if there's any feedback that we could do to make it more functional or, or just a better overall viewing experience for you. Let I hope us we know. get some feedback about just how awesome that hat looks, bro. I know. Like, this is a pretty sweet hat. You realize that you're, I mean, not only did you get the new box, but the hat's new too. Like, you know, Jackson be rocking the other ones, but we don't have, we don't have that one. No, sir. You, you Ooh, got the, you got the this fresh is a flag. nice crispy white hat. Woo. I'm saying they, they took care of you, DB. They did. They, they did. But speaking of taking care, we're going to take care of a lot of ep episodes coming up. We got episode 29, Campbell Baseball, Chance Dequila. All right, that's the next episode we got. That's on Monday. On Tuesday, we got Reese Droder, Arkansas Gymnastics. On Wednesday, we got Gavin Cassis. Can't wait for that episode, Jim. South Carolina baseball, finally. 26, you got pros and Joes, Jason Savincool, Cade Keeler. It's it's a big week coming up, man, and, and we're hitting that baseball peak. Um, we're going to get fall fall stories. We're going to get fall seasons, fall World Series, fall inner squads. But most importantly, we're going to talk expectations for the upcoming season, which, as I've said, is right around the corner, Joe. Do you, do you know what Dave Van Horn let happen? I know you were closing the show, but – our listeners would be sad to not hear your reaction to Dave Van Horn calling game one of the fall world series and letting it end in a nine, nine tie. What a, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say what I really think. So we're just going to end the episode, but that, that is awful. I did that. I mean, that's not, I really feel a lot of hatred for that decision. He said he did not want to use any more arms and was content with what he saw. And I said, look, man, these guys, there's a lot of bragging rights and pride when you play that Fall World Series. And I was like, I'm playing and I'm getting the dub. I'm not taking you, a tie. You know what you do? Hmm. You, all that money they got for these facilities – you roll that jugs machine out there onto the mound and you crank it up and you say, here we go, boys, finish it up. Like, that's, that's it. Hey, that's it's the a solution. It's the solution. For sure. All right, man, let's get out of here. This has been the end off the bench podcast. As always, remember strong body, sharp minds, great and great all the time. We're out.